Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. We're super excited to have Ray Allen back on as a sponsor out in Colorado Springs. Be sure to use the discount code Working Dog Radio spelled out for your 10% off of your next order. RayAllen.com. It's not just for working dogs, guys. It's for all dogs and no sex offenders. True story. You guys have all heard us talk about it. Our favorite e-collars, dogsure.com. They got ball trainers. They got bark collars. They got the 1900S that we love. Ted, how do they get a discount? Go to dogtrue.com, just like it sounds. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. I suggest the ball popper or the 1900S because I use a ton of both of those. But yeah, dogtrue.com. Our good friend Cameron Ford, we've had him on the podcast. We've been on his podcast. He's over there in Vegas now, silverstatek9.com. He's brought his scientific approach to detection work over there to Vegas, silverstatek9.com. All kinds of uh, detection and supervisory schools and everything else like that. Ted, what do you think of that place? It's awesome. I mean, Cameron is one of the most well-versed guys when it comes to the scientific approach and the detection work when it comes to finding bombs or drugs. He's one of the only guys, I think, that ever ran a dog in three states as a law enforcement officer if i remember correctly but yeah great facility great people great training uh hit them up silverstatecanine.com if you guys have seen ted and i posting pictures of these bad ass poker chips we got we got them for van s canine torchlight canine hrd working dog radio we get those from our friends at combat bet challenge coins ted talk about where they can get them and little discount combatbetbet.com use the discount code spelled out working dog radio and try before you buy with the sampler pack be sure to go to combatbet.com forward slash wdr and then plug in the discount code wdr and they'll send you a free sample pack of the ceramic coins and of the metal ones so you can choose which one you want We're super excited to have Horizon Structures on board as a sponsor of the podcast. They're a family-owned business, and they have quality customer service, and their pricing is super, super simple. In fact, if you head over to Horizon Structures, you can see the full gamut of their pre-made kennels, and they go from mild to, I would live in one of these things, wild. So, uh, Eric, (laughs) where can you find them? Horizonstructures.com. It's like a buffet for kennels and everything on that. Horizonstructures.com, or call them toll-free, 888 447-4337. All right, everybody, Working Dog Radio, Broadcasting the Bite, bringing you another episode of the podcast. Um, As usual, I am in the frozen tundra of Ohio. (laughs) It's cold as shit today, man. (laughs) And um, as always with me is my partner, Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, how are you? Uh, Not as cold as you. Um, This is the last episode of the year. And uh, so everybody listening, Merry Christmas. This comes out on the 23rd for general population. comes out on the 22nd for uh, Patreon members. So this is the last time you'll hear us before the end of the year. We'll be back on January 3rd. Uh, we got some cool stuff coming up for February, which is um, National like Canine Dental Month, which I didn't realize was a thing. So we got a dude coming on to talk about teeth um, in February. So it's going to be neat. But, yeah, um, also we've had a bunch of um, – uh, giveaways going on um, on Patreon, Instagram, Instagram, and on Facebook. So, uh, giving away stuff from our sponsors, uh, some of the stuff from some of our friends in the industry um, that make great equipment. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't been following that, you've been missing out. So, sorry, but Merry Christmas anyway. <laughs> so, Eric, what else has been going good, on? Some good stuff. Uh, I got a handler school going on right now. Um, 
I only have one guy in the class. Uh, usually at the end of the year, these winter classes are small because, you know, budgets yeah. and stuff like that. Um, yep. The departments that buy dogs at the end of the year are ones that have fundraised for it. So I got one, and then dogs that are in my kennel were running through all the scenarios. So the handler gets to work his dog, then gets to work a couple other dogs in my kennel, so he gets, like, double or triple the leash time because he's, he's new, he's green. So um, that's going yeah. pretty good, though. Uh, um making him work outside in the cold, which is all I come prepared. I, I don't have to tell you, kid. <laughs> Suck it. You should <laughs> you live in Ohio. Dress sorry, well. not sorry. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go to Walmart. Get the fleece-lined uh, pants. They're amazing. They're like got, 20 bucks. So. We got our last hand of school finishing up on this Friday, and I'm ecstatic. It's a nice dog, and I'm tired of getting fucking bit by him. So, um, <laughs> yeah, cool. he's so uh, – and my, even I got I got a couple of inter or like guys going through our VA trainers program, and they're still doing some of the bites, and some of them I still have to do, and I'm tired of getting bit by this dog. So – um, I'm ready for him mm-hmm. to go out into the wild and find shitheads. So <laughs> like, it's nice. where he needs oh, yeah. to be. He needs to not be biting me anymore. So, uh, yes. So he's going to do well, but yeah. So what are we doing tonight? Well, tonight is one of these episodes. I, I told a couple handlers that I know what we we're going to be talking about tonight. And they're like, Oh, great. Now you're going to make me cry in front of my wife. Um, this is, this is episode, uh, if you're if you're just listening to this for the start of it, get some tissue, chill out, um, get ready to listen. It's gonna suck. I mean, there's no other way about it. You're gonna be happy, laugh, cry, get pissed off. There's just a whole gamut of emotions. Um, we have with us a, a return guest, uh, Frank Ritter. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Good. Good. So Frank was and, on on another sucky episode where where he yeah, made people like cry. But uh, episode in the yeah. thirties or forties. It's way back. Go back and listen to it. I don't remember which episode it was. But I, yeah, it's way back. I'm, I'm the go-to guy whenever you guys have a sucky episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but this was actually Frank's idea. Um, he told me he said we need to do an episode where we talk about um, the the aftermath from a trainer's perspective and an admin's perspective of when a Police canine uh, gets killed in the line of duty. Um, what mm-hmm. to expect? Uh, to try to help people from reinventing the wheel. Um, Frank ran a, runs a, a canine unit out in California. They had a dog killed, and he's going to talk about it from his perspective. I'm going to talk about it from the trainer's perspective. However, to add to the uh, the sadness or, or or the gamut of emotions of the interview is we have a handler whose dog was just killed back in November. Um, this has been a really shitty quarter for canines. Yeah. Uh, it just seems, I, I don't know if maybe if it's because of everybody's now seeing it on social media, how it's more prevalent that we know this, but we get a lot of dogs this quarter that uh, have been killed in the line of duty. Uh, just, what, today a Border Patrol dog got killed. Yeah, um, two days ago, Monday. When, when Jethro... Yeah, when Jethro got killed in 2016, there was a dog the next day and then the week after that. And that, that quarter was real bad. And it just digs at people. So um, we reached out. Uh, most of you that are dog lovers and canine lovers follow things on social media and in the news and read about uh, canine Harley uh, over in Indiana who was killed back in November. And uh, we have his handler, Jared Koopman, on. Jared, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks All for right. coming on, man. I, yeah, this is pretty fresh. I mean, we're a month away, a month from this, you know. Um, yeah. So, 
I know Ted and Alicia reached out to you and we're like, I'm like, if, if he'll do it, you know, we, it, it would be great to have you on to give the handlers perspective. This is a perspective that thankfully most guys don't have. And uh, it's unfortunate that you do, but um, yeah. So Ted, Ted, where you want to start? Um, you know, let's start with Jared. Um, kind of talk a little bit about how you know you got into law enforcement quickly, and then how you ended up in canine, and then we'll talk about how you got Harley, where he came from, where you met him, all that kind of stuff. Okay, um, I got into law enforcement actually uh, this month. Uh, will be my eighth eighth year in uh, law enforcement. I had no previous experience in law enforcement. Um, I actually graduated with a business degree and started doing uh, HR and sales, believe it or not. And I said, this sucks. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I had some buddies that worked out at the gym and they're like, hey, you should try law enforcement. So uh, here I am, and I work for the uh, Fishers Police Department in Indiana. And so we were just northeast of Indianapolis. Interesting. So you kind of a story kind of like mine, except I didn't go to law enforcement. I never intended to be sitting here doing training dogs for sure. But um, so uh, you get under the police department. How long are you there before um, you decide, you know what, uh, I'm going to get a dog. This seems like a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Uh, so I was on, uh, I'm one of the few, I, I uh, was only on for about three and a half years before I actually got selected to be a handler. Um, did the whole interview process. Um, but we have four shifts on our department, two days, two nights, and every shift has a canine. And obviously, I just gravitated toward the canine. I always liked dogs growing up, had a German Shepherd growing up, and uh, started training with the canine unit and was essentially a toy for them, decoyed for about two, two and a half years. And then uh, when the position came available, got selected, and I kind of jumped right in and uh, started getting after it. So how many uh, sworn officers does uh, Fishers have? Uh, I believe we have about 125 now. Uh, Fishers has grown quite a bit in the last 10 years. For probably just right around or just under about 100,000 for our population. All right, cool. And you guys have how many dogs? We've got four dogs, now three. Okay. So you guys got four, through, well, three. So. So talk a little bit about how um, the process of selecting Harley and, you know, how the whole process of training. Did you get him green or did you guys get him pre-trained or what was the deal with him? So we go through a vendor called Von Lee Kennels. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of them. Uh, it's oh, yeah. north of us uh, in Denver, Indiana. Uh, so Ken Licklider and all those guys up there are good, good people. We've used them as long as since I've been at the police department. Um, so went up there and funny story we had some uh, some stuff happen within our canine unit uh and so when i got selected they were really wanting a social animal uh but we were still they had said that it was okay for us to get a dual purpose patrol dog and narcotic dog but they wanted it social well a couple couple days into that training um i had picked a really green dog and Bob Link was like hey if you're really truly wanting a patrol dog you got to you got to get another dog, um, and, and a dog that is going to be uh, good for you and good for your agency. So I ended up uh, settling on Harley and uh, took off running after that. And uh, that course is a six week course. And once I graduated that and got certified, then we train sixteen hours a month. Um, and then we'll do on shift training. So I always tell all the handlers out there, or people that aren't handlers, everyone knows that most of the stuff we do is training for. 
uh, deployments on this tree. So just a lot of training that goes into it. And uh, we, uh, we train with our four handlers, obviously, in-house. And then we train with uh, surrounding agencies. And I reached out a little bit to other agencies that uh, have a lot of uh, deployments and full deployments. And, um, yeah, just started started training and, and working on that and just trying to make Harley uh, a good dog. When I got him, he was only 14 months old. So still young puppy, but had to drive and uh, um, just a really, really uh, driven, focused dog and uh, ended up being a good match with me. So <clears throat> how long um... – so he was on the street for what? How long? A couple of years? Yeah, I think, we gra- we graduated in uh, May of 2015. So then, May obviously, uh, his yep, and then, so his end of watch day here was uh, November 13th. So he was just he would have turned five. Uh, uh, he would have turned five here in uh, March, and then so, we would have been on here coming up. May would have been his anniversary date for uh, uh, five years of handling. So does uh, Harley have any notable, like, finds or apprehensions um, before his end of watch that <laughs> that are memorable and or funny or <laughs> uh, anything that you want to um, kind of highlight? Because, I mean, everyone has seen, like, what's going on in social media and there was a lot of news coverage and everything else about it. But, like, what's something that um, – the general public doesn't know. Uh, I'm sure a lot of handlers can can sympathize or can understand, but like, what's a, a memorable find or like a memorable um, apprehension you guys had before um, what we're about to talk about happened? Yeah, so um, we uh, right off the bat, probably I had him for like seven days in May of 2015, and probably about six months after that, um, we ended up getting a traffic stop. I stopped the car for a license plate light. And ended up getting in total. So in that car, we got 19 pounds of marijuana and about 15,000 cash, which oh, ended up shit. leading to yeah, we uh, um, which had been the, the biggest fine that we had uh, we had received. There's some dogs that are mad right there. Um, right. So we yeah. had uh, um, in total after some search warrants of a hotel room and some um, storage units, we ended up getting about 120 pounds of marijuana, and then $333,000 cash, and then uh, four guns out of that, which is pretty cool. It was Damn. cool to see the money. At Man. that time, we, we yeah, it was uh, it was really cool to be a part of, and I tell people the money, more than the, than the marijuana, the money to see that much money was insane. Funny story is, I, I laugh about it now, is at that point, we didn't have anything to weigh that much amount of uh, drugs. So we actually went to our local uh, FedEx Kinkos and asked if we could use one of their large uh, uh, weighing scales to measure our uh, marijuana at you know two o'clock in the morning, which is uh, pretty funny to see that see us walking in with uh, yeah. with that much marijuana and the you know the high school kid and it was like oh my god can I get a picture of that <laughs> you know um, and then I think probably about six months after that. Um, I get called over to uh, to do a walk around for a semi that's parked at our local Walmart, and we ended up getting 530 pounds of marijuana out of that one. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, a month, probably about a month or two months before um, Harley was killed, we uh, I got ended up getting called out for. Uh, we had two separate pursuits with two people bailing from those two separate, or four people total bailing off those pursuits. Um, with two stolen cars, and we ended up apprehending uh, two people in a backyard hiding up underneath a tree. So that was uh, Harley's 
fifth apprehension, um, uh, fight apprehension. And we, in total, we probably had about 20 civil apprehensions. So we don't get a lot of people that run from us. And honestly, Fishers is pretty quiet. This is the front of the that we've had at our agency. So that kind of tells a story right there of, uh, the type of work that we have. 20 apprehensions in five years is above the average. <laughs> I mean, Oh yeah, Eric works. That's good. Eric works at a large department. Well, I mean, it worked at a it worked at a busy department. I'll put it that way. And those dogs had a lot of work. But shit, I know handlers that don't get five bites in an entire career, and they're in yeah. shitholes. So, um, you know, you're in a in an area, and it's kind of like where I'm at, and kind of like where Eric's at. You know, I mean, and uh, I've talked with some dudes that are part of large departments that have this massive budget and they make this huge commitment to less lethal. So they've got every freaking ninja toy ever like gas guns and pepper ball guns and fucking stun shields and everything else. So the dogs never really even get a chance to bite. So, you know, you're kind of in the sweet spot and kind of like Eric, a lot of my guys, a lot of the department, a lot of the departments across the country are in the sweet spot too. Like where they're in the, like, you know, the dog kind of is probably less lethal other than like a taser and maybe a baton. But so, I mean, that's, right, actually, a lot, right. that's actually a lot of work for five years. I mean, yeah, oh, I, you. yeah, I mean, so, um, I guess, you know, let's talk a little bit about, um, the night uh, that uh, is Harley's end of watch. So you guys do your normal thing before shift and get ready to go work. And what shift do you work? Yes, yeah, I work uh, night shift. So our, okay. our shift, we were 12 hour shifts um, for, for 5P to 5A. Um, and then typically what happens is, you know, when, when we kind of slow down, we don't have roll call uh, right when we mark on. Cause like I said, right around five o'clock, you get a lot of crashes and maybe some thefts coming out. Um, some other runs. So we'll usually do a roll call later on in the night when things start slowing down, you know, maybe uh, a one o'clock or midnight or two o'clock. And so we were getting ready to actually have roll call and typical night, you know, your typical runs that we were getting alarms and some theft calls. And we ended up getting um, a uh, self-inflicted gunshot wound, a suicide that really brought all of us out to out to the eastern part of our uh, our jurisdiction and um while we are out there within 45 minutes we get this uh self-inflicted gunshot wound that comes out and then we get a driving complaint uh, on the interstate well since we're all kind of tied up with that uh i think we ended up passing it off to the next jurisdiction told dispatch we couldn't respond and we happen to have a uh, officer that's a field training officer that was training a um another officer that is actually a lateral. So he's had prior law enforcement experience. I think he's been on for maybe four or five years. Well, they ended up coming back from the hospital uh, down in Indianapolis. So they were heading north on Interstate 69, and they end up seeing this car that matches the description for the driving complaint. So, But the car is pulled over on their shoulder underneath uh, 116th Street, which is like a main uh, thorough road in our city. And they get behind it. As soon as they get behind it, the car takes off. And at this point, I am on scene of this suicide. And I hear them, you know, calling out this pursuit on the radio. You can hear the sirens. So I tell the guys, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to go help out with this pursuit. And just so happens they're heading north. And I start setting myself up to see if they continue going north on the interstate or if they're going to head west uh, into our other jurisdiction. Well, they sure as heck, they get off the interstate and start coming right toward us. So I'm, like, set up perfect. I see them getting off the interstate. Uh, so our, our FTO and our uh, 
lateral officer are first in it, and then we actually had a sergeant that was second in it. And as soon as they get off the interstate, they run a red light, and that's when our sergeant had asked the first car if they were pit certified, and they said that they were not. So he ends up taking first car, and at that point, then I got second car for termination uh, if they ended up running. So we, he ends up pitting them pretty quick, and where he pits them on Olia Road, it's a pretty pretty big road, and the time of day was right right after midnight. So not a lot of cars out. They end up pitting them. It's a really good pit. Pits them on the east side of Olia Road, and it just opens up to a large field, and then there's a medical office just to the south of this car. So they are they spin them out, and now the suspect vehicle is facing all of us in the roadway. And I'm just to the north of the car, and I see two occupants. When they first pass me, I see the male driver and um, another occupant that I don't know is a male or female. I just see long hair. Um, when they stop at the termination point, it takes the driver a little bit to get out. So at this point, I just get out of my car thinking that, you know, waiting to see if they're going to shoot it out with us, if they just give up, and it's more of a felony stop. Um, then I start seeing the driver start swarming around and I see him pop out at that point. I, I grab my dog, hook him up on his six foot leash and take off running after the suspect. Um, I'm to, now to the left of, of the suspect vehicle and we take off running in the woods. And luckily for me, we had trained in this field before. So I knew how, how big it was. I knew how thick it was. Um, so I knew that there was a lot of places that this, suspect could actually hide and you know bed down and ambush us or whatever it may be and i remember breaking the threshold of the vehicle um and as soon as i broke the threshold of the vehicle i'm giving announcements for the male to stop running um you know halt police halt police stop almost in the dog i end up uh, uh cutting him off lead and now i just i take a, and i'm still running after the suspect while i see through my peripheral I see Harley kind of starting off right. So he never ended up having target lock. When I sent him, the suspect was wearing all black. And like I said, we started getting into some woods and some tall grass. So I quickly looked to my right side to see what Harley's doing. And I tap my leg while I'm running and I call him to me. At that point, once I call him to me, he takes off running ahead of me. And when I snap my head down, this is within seconds, I don't see the suspect anymore. And But when I turn back around, I've got the officer that initiated the pursuit and his um, PO um, with guns drawn and holding down ahead of me. So I'm like, all right, cool. I got my guys. Let's go. Um, so we take off running, and it opens up a little bit to my right side. So in my head, and I think that's I, I, I thought so, I thought the suspect went left. Um, Harley continues going right, and now he's oh, – uh, a little bit ahead of us, but with a tall grass, I lose sight of Harley as well. I don't see him. So I start kind of calling him toward me, and I'm telling my backup officers, like, hey, watch left. I think he went left. Uh, we're trying to check snow prints in the, in the uh, ground. It was uh, a full moon that night, so we had some good ambient light. Um, but, um, but still, with, with it being so thick, it was kind of hard to see. Um, what saved me was we had some uh, dumpsters from the business to our south and that had some brick facade around it to, like, you know, make the dumpsters look clean or whatever. And in my head, I can, once again, I keep thinking that the suspect went left because I don't see him running through this uh, open field area that turns into a parking lot, and then there's more woods behind the parking lot. 
Um, and like I said, what saved me was we came up to the dumpsters and I see in the distance, I see Harley, huge change of behavior and he starts working the dumpsters. So at that point, that's when I said, Hey, he's in good odor. Um, let's see what he has. And at this point, you know, my gun's drawn and he's off lead. Um, and I'm, you know, scanning the area as well as keep checking, checking on Harley to make, you know, watching change of behavior that he might have. And so I make announcements at the dumpsters. I kick it, kick the door open. Uh, Harley runs in and immediately comes out. So right then I'm like, all right, he's not in there. Uh, let's keep pushing forward. And Harley takes off running again. And he keeps, he keeps going at that point. He's, he's heading Southeast and he's kind of, we're kind of toward the back of the parking lot. So we've got now the parking lot light and now uh, ahead of us is, thicker woods before his field and some overgrown trees and, and things like that. And he takes off running like a bat out of hell. Um, so I start calling to me because once again, I still think, well, potentially uh, the suspect went left and our wind was coming from South to North. Um, and so I, I see him get off running South ahead of me. And I'm like, well, shit, he sure is running like he has something. But once again, I don't see anything. And so we're kind of, I tell the guys, let's, let's keep pushing forward. Um, and I see footprints in the snow that are strides and I'm like, oh shit, Harley has odor and he's been, and he's, he's had odor this whole time. So at that point I tell the guys with me, I said, Hey, let him work. Um, if he's in good odor, I feel safer with him letting, letting him work. And in, when I replay the, in my head, I thought it was about 20, 30 seconds. We just got body cam. So we, I've been wearing body cam for a couple weeks now. Um, and I say to the guys, I said, hey, hold up. This is really dangerous. And right after I said that, it was four seconds, I hear a single gunshot. Um, we're in the middle of no man land, and I don't hear any more commotion. I don't hear suspect screaming. I don't hear dog. I just hear that single gunshot. In my head, I knew from the success that we had had with Harley um, and where he was into our relation when we first initially started chasing the suspect, I knew that gunshot was for Harley. Um, so we retreated at that point. That's when we, you know, we, we get on the radio, yell shots fired. And we asked for a car to come over to us so we can get some cover on the wood line. Selfishly in my head, I'm thinking from prior experiences with IMPD, maybe this guy shot himself and maybe my dog is just chewing on him right now. Um, so I'm, I'm, I start calling Harley back to me. Nothing. I hear a stick break. And in my head, I think that's my dog trying to come back to me, but he never comes back to me. At that point, I stopped calling for him because I was thinking, well, if he's shot, I don't want him to waste his energy trying to come back to me. Um, so I just, you know, I, I, I remember yelling, plots here, plots here, go boy here, plots here, and nothing. And then I just kind of, once the car came for our cover, it hit me like a ton of bricks of like, oh man, I know exactly what just happened. And but you're still holding on hope uh, that you know maybe he got shot and it spooked him and he's running off. But at the same time, as the competitiveness as most handlers can relate to is at the same time you're like, nah, I uh, I know my dog is on him and he's not running away. Um, so we're holding that that wood line for a while. I don't remember the exact time. I, I think from looking back on the CAD notes, it ends up being about 45 minutes. Um, and we start getting, uh, calls that there's a white male and a white 
sweatshirt attempting to break into houses uh, back behind us. Well, the infrared with the ring doorbells, it ends up being, it's him. It's, it's a black man with a black sweatshirt instead of a white man with a white sweatshirt. Um, so we get multiple calls that there's somebody trying to break in homes in the area. Um, luckily, we live in a community that's very pro-law enforcement, and they start calling right away on anything suspicious, it feels like, which saved us that night. It was really cold that night, which also, I think, helped save us because this guy essentially started trying to get warm. Um, so we're still holding the wood line, not knowing exactly uh, potentially, well, what if for some crazy reason that that is somebody else trying to break into homes right now and this guy's still just bedded down in the wood line waiting for us to come in or, uh, you know, I don't, I'm still focused on, well, maybe my dog comes back to me, maybe it's just, uh, you know, all these emotions and thoughts are going in your head. Um, but once again, hearing that one gunshot, I'm like, that, what, you know, I'm thinking, well, if, if Harley was running after him and he's shooting a couple times to kind of scare the dog, you had multiple gunshots, all of these thoughts are, are in my head. Um, so as we get a keep getting additional calls, I bet you we got three or four calls of a male breaking into homes, attempting to break into homes. At one point, the male gets into a window of a house, and the homeowner wakes up, female, sees him, screams, spooks him. He takes off running again, and we start getting officers over there. At that point, uh, Indiana State Police, um, they're close by. They send their uh, helicopter our way. We start getting drones over to us, and we essentially just start closing closing this dude's world in um, on the perimeter. Uh, multiple uh, officers helping at this point from other jurisdictions, and you hear him on the radio. You hear that they see him. Then he takes off running. Then somebody else see him and he takes off running again. And it's only a matter of time before they started shrinking. That and you know I'm still waiting for at the end of this for a you know, a gun battle will go on with this, and that there's going to be a shootout at the end of this thing. Um, well, they end up apprehending him, Indiana State Police. They get a dog bite on him, and this guy ends up ditching his gun um, underneath a tree, almost as if he was going to come back and get it. Um, there's a 45, and the next, or I guess later on that afternoon, uh, they end up having about 50, 60 officers and federal agents that were in the area trying to find the shell casing and uh, the gun. That way they could try to, you know, solve this and figure out what's going on. So they apprehend the suspect. He gives up quickly. Um, you know, as soon as officers see him, uh, and then one of my best buddies on the shift ends up seeing him, and he said this dude gave up so quick that he, he's, I've never seen anybody fall to the ground so quick with his hands out screaming. Um, that he's giving up, uh, of course, right? Um, so, of course, they put him. Yeah, they put him in custody. Um, and once they put him in custody, he starts running his mouth. Uh, he's, he's making, you know, shooting noises in the back of the car. Um, click, click, bang, click, click, bang. Um, and so they're dealing with that. I was never a part of, of anything like that. I was still what holding the, the wood line. Um, our SWAT team ends up coming out, and they start basically just manhunting for Harley. Um, I was lucky enough, I look back on it now, that it's helped me through this process. One of our handlers uh, is also on the SWAT team that came out that night. And so he brings his dog out um, to start trying to, you know, check the area. And he ends up coming back probably like five minutes after this and says, man, I, I cannot get the dog in the, in the woods. We just keep getting tangled and everything. It's so thick. And, you know, after, you know, we're talking, and this is like this hunt now is, is going on hours. 
of us still not knowing where uh, Harley is. And he's like, man, if you would have went in their woods, there's no way, there's no way you would have been able to go in there with him online. Um, so the handler comes back, and you know, I, I got guys coming back to me from the SWAT team, like, man, we haven't found any blood, we haven't found any phone, nothing. Well, when they finally eventually found the drones couldn't find them because of the, of the thick woods, they end up stumbling across him, and my hand and the handler on the SWAT team ends up finding him. And the first time they went in, because we told them there, I was like, man, we were, this is, this is a, right in front of us, about no less than 50 yards. That's where the gunshot came from. Well, when he first went in, it was so thick. He was probably 10 feet from Harley and, could, and didn't even see him. Um, and then when they finally stumbled across him, uh, they located him. And what has been comforting to me is Harley got shot right on top of his head, um, no more than four inches away from the top of his head. And um, the bullet went through uh, his first second and got lodged in his third vertebrae, so he felt no pain. Last thing he knew is he was apprehending the suspect, and you know lights went out, and that's all he knew. So that is uh, comforting to me that he didn't suffer um, if he had to go out. And you know, um, it was after um, that initial, you know, you. You start gaining hope on something like that when you don't know where your dog is and people haven't found your dog. And But like I said, at the same time, you're like, man, I know my dog and there's no way he's running around right now. He was right on top of him. And then when you finally get that news, it's still just hits you like, it's surreal. And you always say, you know, it's, it's my dog before, before any of us. But then when you put into perspective to know that, holy hell, man, my dog just took a bullet for me and other officers and, um, you know, and then after that, they had to treat it like a crime scene. So our ETs went in there, and uh, I'm lucky enough, I've got some great handlers at our agency and around us that uh, Hamilton County Sheriff's Department came. Uh, there's a senior handler on their unit that's now in charge of their training and stuff. He's had a couple dogs. Um, he went in there, he had brought it, uh, a flag with him, and so once they were done taking pictures, they brought him out of the wood line. Um, I still get choked up about it. Uh, they brought him out of the wood line with the flag wrapped around him, and I met him at the last point that uh, I deployed him, where I last saw him. And I kept telling the guys, like, "Hey, what are you doing out of the woods? I just don't want to. I don't want to see him because in my in my head, I thought, you know, he's going to look like look like hell, and you know, like his head's freaking shot off or whatever it may be." Um, so. They bring my brother Woodlines, and you know, like I said, my agency is amazing. Uh, the mayor came out that night, so we've got you know all our all our, our chief, assistant chief, our captains. Uh, they're all out, and uh, so they line up in formation. We have a quick debrief. Um, our chief addresses everyone that was on scene, and so you know, you know, said uh, obviously we caught a really bad guy tonight, um, but we wouldn't have been able to do it without Harley's sacrifice. And, uh, you know, without Harley, who knows what would have happened. That's, uh, if, if human beings and police officers were going in there looking for this guy. Um, so they stood at, uh, everyone stood at attention and presented arms and, uh, we made a file line. And so I picked him up from that point forward and brought him back to my car. Um, and then we had a long procession, um, guys jumped in procession. We took him to the animal hospital where everyone kind of said their goodbyes and I could, and I could spend some time with him. Um, so we had a nice procession, uh, took him to the animal hospital and that's where I spent, uh, a while with him, which they, all, all our families came out that night. 
Uh, my whole squad stayed with me that night. Um, and everyone just, you know, you start getting the triple effect of everyone showing up. What was nice is uh, when I got Harley, uh, there was a, another officer from Anderson Police Department, which is just north of us, uh, who lost his partner in the line of duty several years ago, uh, chasing a uh, robbery suspect. He came out, woke up, came and met me, and uh, and he's been just instrumental. And uh, I was lucky enough, my lieutenant, my shift lieutenant, uh, was a prior handler as well. So he talked with uh, the officer name is Matt Jarrett from Anderson. He said, man, what do, how, how do we go about this now? How do, how do we make Jared uh, feel good uh, as, as best we can and keep it as normal as can? And he said, let him take his time with this. Um, he said, when I went through mine, I got yeah, felt like he got rushed back. He said, I rushed to get another dog. Um, and to this day, it still affects me. And he said, just let him take his time. Um, I'm with a canine. I'm Rome. He said, let him stay Rome. He said, my agency, they put me in a district next time I go back to work. Um, so my agency, you know, they're, like I said, they've been awesome. They, they told me to take as much time as I need. Um, it was right before obviously Thanksgiving and we already had a, a trip planned for Thanksgiving. So I ended up leaving the state, um, which was nice to get away, but all the support that we had received after that was amazing. Um, but, to fast forward to the hospital. So after, uh, you know, everyone says their final goodbyes at the hospital, uh, I had called my wife prior to arriving and, you know, let her know the news. And uh, so I've got two little boys, so my wife and the boys came down. And uh, So I got to say uh, goodbye to Harley. And then um, then guys stayed, uh, walked with Harley. Uh, and then after that, we had to do the autopsy. So we go to Purdue University to do the autopsy. Um, so... Guys stayed watch over Harley at the hospital. I went home and tried to freaking figure out what the hell just happened. Um, after I got a, uh, my dad came and woke me up the next day because I, I had to put my phone on silence with all the messages and phone calls that I started receiving. Obviously, with social media now and in the news and stuff, they get they caught wind of it. They did a news uh, press release at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, that's when kind of you hit like wildfire and start spreading around. Um, so then I got a, uh, my dad woke me up and said, hey, they're taking Harley to Purdue. Do you want to go with? And I remember being so exhausted. I said, I, I, I can't go with. Like, the handler that found him in the woods uh, is a real good buddy of mine. And he, he went with our head ET guy, and they went down to Purdue for the day while they did this autopsy. And, uh, you know, you, you start doing these autopsies, and people don't truly understand what a police canine means to a hammer and an agency. And so they're like, well, you have to leave and we'll do the autopsy and we'll call you when we're done. And they're like, no, we're somebody's staying with a dog. So he never had anybody not stay with him. Um, he had, you know, 24 hour watch over him, which was comforting to me because what was so hard for me as a handler was that I wasn't there fighting with him in the woods. But at the same time is I know, I know I, I couldn't. If if I was in there fighting with him, it would have been me and Harley, or I would have been. Who knows what would have happened? And I know that for a fact that Harley definitely took uh, took a round for me. And where they ended up finding Harley, and where the uh, shell casing was, they uh, ended up finding out you know more information on this guy that's still in an investigation. But this dude was a bad dude, and uh, he said that this guy was. It was from the time he bailed till the time we yelled shots fired on the radio. Um, he said this guy was waiting to ambush 
whoever came down that hill. And if you would have came down that hill, you would have been you or your partners. And what has been so nice is the comfort of, you know, the, the biggest compliment you could ever receive from other handlers and coworkers. And I've had so many coworkers come up to me and like, you know, and wives and stuff. And that's where I get emotional with I'm like, when you have wives coming up to you, uh, thanking you and Harley and saying, dude, I would have ran in the woods if you weren't there. I would have ran in the woods if you didn't hold us up. I, it's just, that is what is, uh, is nice to know. Like, like I did the right thing and Harley had to do that in order for us to go home and for me to go back with my boys and, and my wife. So, um, but from that point forward, obviously, I don't know how, how much, whatever, but we, um, we had the service and all that stuff. So I don't know, I guess if there's questions or anything or spots you want me to fill in. So, um, from the moment that the shot rang out until, um, the, the other handlers, you know, basically stumbled across him in that deep thicket. How, how long are we talking there? I think it ended up being close to two hours. Two hours. My God, that's yeah. terrible. Um, and then so your department, gonna... your department released your, your, your radio traffic. Yeah, so actually, so that uh, officer that did, uh, Ron Shellnut, is actually a former canine hammer for Indianapolis Metro, and he now does works their drone and is big, and so he'll do a lot of funerals uh, in Indiana with fallen police officers, firefighters, whatever it may be, and I've seen some of his work, and he's amazing. So a lot of people have seen the tribute video that's been going around uh, social media. So he got that. Uh, audio and put that video together and he had told the other handlers he said hey i usually do funeral services and kind of just highlight the funeral service he said i kind of want to do something a little different on this one and my so the other handlers on my unit they're like man that's pretty deep like i, I don't know if, if it's, uh, i remember them saying hey Jared, nice. you might not want to listen to this video for a, a couple months and so but he had tied that in and it's so raw and but at the same time, it just it speaks volumes of what happened that night. And I'm really glad that he did that. And he did a phenomenal job with that. Uh, but, yes, he's the one that got the uh, radio traffic for that. Yeah, that um, for, you know, that's pretty heart wrenching to listen to. And, and the guys are right. You know, everybody's got to make their decisions on how they're going to handle it. Um, some guys wouldn't want to hear it. Some guys are like, yeah, uh, let me let me go back over this um, to get it out there for people to hear. And then, um, you know, when the service happens, um, your wife spoke at this service and that speech is, you know, gut wrenching for folks and, and for, for people that aren't there that don't, um, you know, have never had to deal with anything like that. If, if you're wondering what that shit's like, like how serious this stuff is and how serious the bond is between not only the, um, the handler and the dog, but the, the handler's family and the dog and, and the department and the dog, you go listen to those videos, listen to that tribute video, and then go listen and watch the funeral service. Uh, and I'm telling you, if, if it doesn't touch you, you're, you're soulless in my opinion. Hmm. Um, so, uh, how did your department react as far as like the service went? How, who, who handled that? Yeah, we had, a. Uh... Like I said, we've never, our department has never had a line of duty death. So everything was brand new to us. Um, we, the uh, Indiana FOP came um, and to help us just because of, we didn't really, 
you know, guys have obviously been, we have honor guard and guys go to funerals all the time. So you get a lot of, you're getting a lot of input from guys that have been to funerals and understand kind of the, I guess the order of a, of a funeral. Um, but we had a lot of outside help as well as inside of our agency. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Captain Ellison uh, within our police department. the one that kind of ran this whole thing and, and started it up. But like I said, we got a lot of help from other agencies and the uh, FOP. Yeah, that's good. You and and they you didn't have to. They kept you like. Listen, you just be, you just get here, and we'll handle it. Yeah, it, yeah. It was like I said. It's the guys have my hands on. They basically I had two uh, two handlers, uh, Sam Ross and Kyle McFerrin. Kyle McFerrin's one that found Harley is on the SWAT team. Um, they kind of basically said, "Hey, anything that you guys need that need that we need to ask Jared, you call us first. And we'll we'll reach out to Jared. That way, I wasn't getting bombarded with several people asking, "Hey, you know." When we started paying the funeral service, um, we sat down and they said, "What what are you wanting in the service? How do you want him to be, uh, you know, honored? What are you wanting?" So I got to you know pick the people that I wanted to speak at it, and I wanted it to be as much as you know. It was it's it's horrible. It's horrible to lose your partner. You can never never get ready for something like that. Never imagine it. Um, but at the same time, I wanted people to understand. Um, the hard work that it goes into handling the canine and the bond that you form and the trust that you form. And essentially, you know, what what he did for me and for other officers of allowing us to go home. So I wanted to be, to get, have that sadness in there so people understood, but I also wanted to be a celebration and, and talk about what his success is and have it be fun and have it where people kind of got a little glimpse of life of, a canine and what it was like between the relationship with me and the handlers. Cause every handler knows if you're in a training group, it's your dog, but everyone has their hand in on that dog and are helping with that dog. So it's not just you as a loss. It's a unit as a loss. And guys take that personal because you're like, man, you, everyone puts so much work into the dogs, whether it's somebody laying a track, whether it's somebody taking a bite, uh, whether it's somebody muzzle fighting, everyone is helping with this dog. So, it's truly a loss for a lot of people. And, um, you know, it's just, and like I said, it's, everything happens so quick and sudden that you can't ever prepare for it. And, and all of a sudden stuff's rolling up pretty quick. I tell people that it, it felt like it's still, I can't believe it was, it was only two weeks ago. Um, but it felt like, you know, the world kept spinning around me and I was just standing still. It just, it's just a surreal moment of time during this whole thing. So how, um, how, how much mail are you getting? Huh. Unbelievable. I, I still have not gone through all the mail. Uh, it's, and I think obviously social media. So I'm, I, I like social media. I, I do woodworking on the side. So I had a woodworking, I had followers with woodworking. Um, and you know, guys give me a hard time because I was on social media and posting videos and guys like, what are you doing? But I think it's good. I always like portraying the good side of law enforcement that media never portrays. And at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it's so cool that, I get to freaking go to work every day with a dog that is that's attract people that can bite people and can it's it is a really cool thing that I think sometimes we get so accustomed to as police officers that I wanted to kind of share that aspect of it. So I started getting a lot from social media. Uh, there's a handler with uh, Indianapolis Metro, um, Molly Gross, that is really big on social media. She reached out to people and then they started sending in cards and and I had it was cool to see like agencies and handlers like you know bigger agencies like chicago pd and uh, you know 
it's like California sending me stuff, and I'm like in a little like Indiana. It's just it's cool to see from California to Florida to Texas to East Coast, all these people sending you stuff is really cool, and it kind of it lets you know that you're doing the right thing, and that there's. I always tell people that aren't law enforcement is like police are a close knit group, but handlers are even closer. And how we say we're like the release pictures of a baseball team. There's some weird dudes in handlers, and you got to be when you're working a dog that doesn't talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a great community to be a, a part of, and everyone is is in it together. And they just want you have a passion to work with a dog to make them great. That nobody sees the success of a dog. Um, so they see the success of a dog, but no one ever sees the hard work that it takes for that dog to be successful. Yeah. And, uh, before we go to break, I'll mention something and and you can probably, uh, echo this sentiment is so when, when our Jethro got killed right around that time, man, it was a, um, an onslaught on police and everything negative and stuff in the media and, you know, uh, protests and all this other crap. And everybody seemed to be out, you know, for it a few months after that, there was, you know, the Dallas five and, and all that stuff like that. And then when an incident like your dog happens, um, it does, even when you think, man, I'm in a job where it's just thankless anymore. Nobody likes us and all this other shit. Then you, it actually brings it around to that. Even though those folks that don't like law enforcement, have a big mouth. They are truly in the minority. They are yes. um, the outpouring of support that you receive. It's 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 like renews your faith in humanity and and the job that you're doing. I mean, you're are exactly you seeing right. that type of reaction? Uh, yeah, it, and, you know, I, I, it's, I you know I think it's sad. If this is a, a police officer down, you still hear all that negative stuff that happens with law enforcement. Um, but I think with a with a, a dog, it's so many people can relate to a dog because they automatically think of their personal pet, right? And so they they just want to help out, and they're like, that dog did nothing wrong. There's, it never becomes a race thing or anything. It's like that dog was just trying to do his job. Um, but yeah, the support has been unreal, and the people that just like I said, you, the media wants to wants to portray the bad. And so you hear all the bad because all the people that want to portray and throw police under the bus. And then all of a sudden, all the people, like you're saying, that come out of the woodwork that don't really talk, but they talk on something like this, is a, it's, they, they silence all those negative people. And it just it, it rejuvenates you, like you're saying, and you're just like, you know what? I used to think that everyone hates me, and you're like, man, there's a lot of people that support us and that are backing us right now. Yeah, very, very well put. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break here at this point. Yeah. We're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Frank Ritter about um, his his view of things as a supervisor running a unit when, when stuff like this happens. And then I'll get into the trainer's side, and we'll come back to Jared and talk about a little bit more of the aftermath. Yeah. So probably my favorite product, one that actually really delivers what they say has been quick turned by vet care. We use it on... Uh, all kinds of dogs in our kennels. It's, it's fast-acting wound care for all species of animals. You can use it on yourself. Dad and I both have done it. We got, yep. cut. We got a lot of people doing it. We get a lot of testimonials on our social media from people showing pictures of what they've done with their dog. It's Quick Derm by Vet Care. Ted, talk about discount codes and where to find it. 
Yeah, if you go to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR, you get 10% off your first order. And there's rumors that she upgrades the sizes too if you use that. So that may happen. It may not. You never know. But yeah, it, it keeps small things from becoming big things. Uh, so get some and toss it in your bag. It's t- temperature stable, so you don't have to worry about it cooking or freezing up in the patrol car. But yeah, vetcare. US. We love our partners down in Florida at Southern Coast Canine. We love Bill and Peggy Heiser. And of course, Danny Cornier, who's their right-hand man, is one of our favorite people as well. They do a fantastic job of selecting green dogs and training them up and getting patrols, handlers through patrol schools. And they also have a list of decoy schools and a full gamut of detection seminars as well. Eric, where can you find them? SouthernCoastCanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine.com. Give them a call at 877 dogs. I can tell you this, every seminar that we've been at where there's been Southern Coast Canine Dogs, they've all been solid. Every single one of them, never have to worry about it. We get right to work. SouthernCoastCanine.com. I've been dying to get this company on as as a sponsor for the podcast, Horizon Structures. You go to their website and check it out. They have got some of the neatest things you can build for a kennel. Why do all the work yourself? Have somebody else do it. They will set it up at your location delivered anywhere in the continental U.S. Uh, Ted, talk about the website real quick. Yeah, it's horizonstructures.com. And if you go over and check it out, you can see the list of choices, which is almost mind boggling for everything from the outside to the inside. And you can go from completely mild and unfinished on the inside to completely decked out like a surgical suite with stainless steel, everything and heated floors and anything you can think of in between. And the big thing that you mentioned is they deliver anywhere in the United States and they set it up. So when it's set up, when they drop it off, you can put dogs in it immediately that day. And uh, yeah, saves a ton of time, but hit them up. Horizonstructures.com. 888-447-4337. They have an on-staff engineer that walks you through the entire process from start to finish, which is excellent customer service, which makes it much, much easier to get back to what you do well, which is training dogs. Yep, we just finished up the uh, hits uh, interviews and got them posted up from Chicago. Uh, next year, we're going to be doing the same thing, except Eric and I are also going to be instructing and bringing our unique brand of scenario-based training to the masses there, and it will be the masses in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's going to be the 18th through the 21st of 2020. Uh, hits K9, letter K number nine dot net is where you're going to go find all the information to get signed up. So, Eric, what did you think? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, I, I loved it. You know, Hits is the biggest and the best. They have the most handlers that come there. So, like, if you're a company that's wanting to be a vendor, you will not reach any more people in this business than it hits. 1,200 and, you know, people. A lot of people yeah. like me have never really been to Scottsdale and Phoenix. I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be in August, but they got air conditioning like crazy. Yeah, 1,200 handlers and 100-ish uh, vendors. Yeah, they make it. They don't oversell the vendor thing, too. It's, the ratio is very appropriate. So if you're a vendor and you're looking, get on at hitsk9.net or call Jeff Baird at 863-529-5113. Hits, the letter K, the number 9.net. Yeah, it's no secret that Eric and I use a lot of equipment around the kennels at Van Ness and at Torchlight. Uh, so for e-collars and ball popping stuff, I use Dogtra. I use the 1900S hands-free and their ball trainer, which is a popper and a dropper. I think I've got like six of those things now, and they're all on one remote. So I hide them in our cars and on our buses, and I hide them in places inside the detection building. So we have like six stations that we run the dogs on. Super, super clean way of doing it, and I modify mine with magnets so I can stick them anywhere. Uh, my handlers like the 1900S because they're they're putting the button on their plate carrier so they don't have to mess with a uh, handheld remote and manipulate that at the same time. But uh, Eric, where do you get this stuff? 
Go to dogtrut.com. Don't forget to use your discount code as WDR10. That is all caps, WDR10. 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. Take a look at that new 3500X. It's their new uh, two-dog system for trainers. I'm telling you, it's the best two-dog system I've ever seen out there. Dogtra.com, WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200. Some of our favorite people are, are out there in North Carolina, Highland Canine Training. Full gamut services, everything from green dogs, finished detection dogs, finished patrol dogs, all the way up to seminars, whatever you need there, full service facility. You can hit them up at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Yep, we love those folks down there. Their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com, is so easy to navigate around and see everything that they have. They have uh, teams from all over the world that come there to train there, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Challenge coins seem to be like currency in the canine industry. Everybody has them and everybody trades them and everybody collects them. So the guys over at Combat Bet make some really, really nice metal ones and they make some really, really nice poker chip ones. Um, if you've ever seen Eric and I in person, you've gotten some of these and I've got some for Torchlight. He has some for Van S. We have them for Working Dog Radio and HRD also. Uh, they do a great job and they're super high quality and the print on them is phenomenal. In fact, if you want, you can contact them. They'll send you sample packs so you can see exactly what it is, and they'll help you with all the artwork, too. Eric, where do you get them? We get them at combatbet.com. That's combatbet.com. They have a discount code for us. It's Working Dog Radio, all spelled out in capitals, Working Dog Radio. And if we see you in person, you better have one in your pocket because I'm going to drop one on you, and you're going to owe me a beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We love our partnership with RayAllen.com. They've been doing business, ethical business, RayAllen.com. They've got everything you need to know for uh, all dogs, not just not just working dogs. You guys that are training pets and training police dogs or, or have pets, check them out, RayAllen.com. Ted, there's a way for them to get a discount, correct? Yep, you go over there and you use the discount code Working Dog Radio for 10% off of your next order. They've got the Tricos gear, they've got vet care stuff, they've got some of the Working Dog dry goods muzzles and their own muzzles. They have that new rad harness that they just came out with, the Nomad, that everybody seems to be loving. Um, some of my guys are using it right now, one of the prototypes, and he's already had some, uh, some good work in it. So, RayAllen.com, use the discount code Working Dog Radio for 10% off your next order. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Uh, we are doing a special episode on um, kind of the fallout of uh, what happens when um, the unexpected and the unmentionable happens when you have a patrol dog. Um, we just heard the story of Harley uh, from Fisher's PD in Indiana um, from his handler, Jared. Um, and it's pretty gnarly. Um there is a lot of things that fell into place that night that um, definitely were one-off events and um, the unthinkable happened. And, you know, it happened and I, there's there's been a lot of talk about debating tactics and what should or shouldn't have happened with all the information. Without, without all the information being... Um, kind of put out there so now all the information's out so everybody knows um it sounds like <laughs> i mean you know it, it sucks it, it definitely sucks and you're right the dog saved you the dog saved team members the dog saved other officers and that kid was waiting to shoot somebody 
I mean, that's the end of the story. And you guys didn't fucking know. I mean, end of story. I mean, that's the very short. He was going to shoot a cop that night. Yes. <laughs> and and he had um, it in. He was, he was in the advantage, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, without getting a lot into it, he was – it is what it is. Like, the kid was already – I mean, he was committed. I'll just say it, put it that way. So, um, you know, unfortunately, this is not a unique thing. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that Jared is kind of speaking for a lot of handlers that have been in this unfortunate situation. A couple of days after this happened, also, uh, there was a dog in Arizona that was shot in a similar situation. And then two days before the recording of this episode, there was a dog, um, from Bortac down in El Paso, um, that was shot, um, serving warrant, I think with El Paso PD, Bortac and, um, ATF. And, um, it, the dog saved guys that day, two days ago too. And, um, you know, we don't knowingly send dogs to, um, gun calls, which is why I think the active shooter dogs are fucking stupid, but, um, we don't knowingly send them to, um, their death. So, you know, which is why we have Frank back on, um, Frank's a sergeant, um, on a department out on the West coast. Um, and he's had a dog down, go down on the line, uh, duty, similar to Harley. And, you know, part of the management of that after the fact and how to deal with, all of the overwhelming amount of support, like Jared was just talking about for the um, for the break, um, is also a process all in of itself. So um, again, Frank, you're back on. What's up, man? Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me, buddy. Merry Christmas to you and to Ted and Jared. Uh, my heart goes out to you, both you and and Hardy. Man, that's that's a big shit sandwich, dude. That <clears throat> it sounds like uh, you have a good head on your shoulders and you're dealing with it well. So. But having said that, I, I, having said that, I think there's. Um, I'm a canine sergeant for, as Eric said, for a department out here in, in California. Uh, I've been in law enforcement for 24 years, and I've been the sergeant out there, um, the canine sergeant, for about eight or nine years. And um, this show is is super cool, I think, because there's a you have a lot of listeners for this show, and um, a lot of them are either handlers or they're hopefully they're admin people that are listening to the show as well. Because as Jared told the story, and as you said, Eric, uh, this shit's happening all the time. And it's going to happen in the future. There's, there's future Jared's out there. There's future Pedro's out there, the dog that we lost, and Jethro. And so as an administrator, um, I think it's super important that you know how to best deal with these things before they happen. Because often in law enforcement, um, the test comes before the lesson. And then we try to unfair everything down the road. But we've already had, you know, all these incidents. So you have to figure out what are we going to do when it happens to us? Because you can't, as an administrator, you, and even as a handler, you can't have your head in the sand thinking that it's never going to happen. And when the shit happens, as Jared explained and, and what happened, it's very overwhelming. So if you have a system in place and you take some steps before and after, it's going to make this critical incident go a lot smoother. So first and foremost, um, you know, not every dog is going to die on scene, right? Some dogs just get, get injured severely and they have to retire. So whether the dog gets killed immediately or not, you're going to have to, first and foremost, have your handlers 
uh, have some basic first aid skills, right? So you got to, as an administrator, the first thing you should do with your new handler and the dog is send them to a basic first aid class for canines. Now, there's a group out in California. It's a police and working canine foundation called Cover Your Canine. And they actually pay for, it's a foundation, and they pay for handlers to go to these courses so it doesn't come out of the PDs or the SO's pocket. And then once they go to that basic first aid class, that I would recommend that they go to some sort of combat casualty course, which is an advanced first aid class. And we went through one called, uh, it's a veterinarian uh, tactical group called Vet Corps. And that, that class, it was a three-day class. It was one of the best courses that I ever went to. And it really, so we lost Pedro before, excuse me, after I went to this class. And uh, had we not have gone to this class, I think we would have had a, a much more challenging time with what happened to us. Because they made you think about a lot of the stuff that happens both before and after. So if, if your dog gets injured in the line of duty and it's not deceased at the time, it doesn't get killed immediately like, like Hardy did or you can't get to him. But you, like our dog got, um, was chasing a pearly at large and it went into an intersection and got hit by a car, got sucked up into the wheel well. And um, Pedro was a mess. He had a broken muzzle, his teeth were missing. He had two punctured lungs. He had broken his spine, which we didn't know at the time. And uh, it was, and I was on duty that night. I was actually the, the sergeant in charge. Um, we only have two handlers and two dogs. And my, I, I get on scene, and the dog is in the middle of the intersection and surrounded by fire personnel and my handler over him. But my handler was taking care of the dog appropriately. He didn't lose his shit because of the class of this combat casualty course that we had sent him. Because one of the things that those, these courses do is they make you think in advance when things happen that you handle things appropriately to hopefully save your dog. And one of which was, um, you know, there's some agencies when the dog gets hurt, they're going to pick the dog up, they're going to throw him in the back of the, of, the, of the black and white, and they're going to drive 110 miles an hour to a vet clinic, maybe it's a vet clinic. They think they're going to a hospital, but it's probably a vet clinic that probably doesn't have a veterinary even um, on duty. They probably have some tech on duty, and and that's that's a failure situation, right? You don't want to do those things. So in our case, when I got on scene, um, my officer was actually was stabilizing the dog because Pedro was trying to was trying to get up. He's he stabilizing the dog. And one of the things that we um, had done in advance, which was also talked about in this course, was having a relationship with your, for your emergency transport. So here in California, we have AMR. And AMR has a, a policy, I think nationwide, that they don't transport animals. However, we were able to have a specific agreement with them to transport um, first responder dogs or police canines. And not only transport them, but they actually had equipment on their bus that we had a spinal board, and then we had the um, the oxygen cannula that they were able to, you know, to, to assist Pedro. So when Pedro went down, one because of his training, he he fell right back in the training, stabilized dog. AMR showed up, put the dog onto a uh, onto a board, strapped him down, transported him appropriately 
and we we actually were lucky because we had UC Davis um, Veterinary Hospital at 13 miles away from our city, which is uh, I think 15 years in a row now is like the best vet hospital um, in the nation and probably the world. And and it's a real hospital. It's like a trauma care for for animals. So they had a cert, you know they had the neurosurgeon on board. Um, they had the orthopedic surgeon. They had all these you know, all the equipment. But what's important about that is if you're one of those agencies who doesn't have a UC Davis in their backyard, you're going to have to think about in advance when the dog goes down and it's still alive, where are you going to take it to? And know the route to get there and have the tele- make sure their dispatchers have the telephone numbers so they can give them a heads up that they're coming in. Um, if you try to, if you just try to wing it and go to a, if you, if you look at, you know, um, if you go online in your area and you Google that, you know, vet hospitals, there's no regulatory system. Um, they often call themselves hospitals, right? They're not, they're not hospitals. They're just vet clinics. And most canine handlers, not all, but a lot of us are working in the evening hours and after hours. And you're going to have maybe a 24-hour person on, but they're going to be like the, you know, the, the, the technician who has to call, you know, the, the vet in, who's not prepared in emergency medicine, right? So you should, you should know in advance the closest true emergency hospital for your animal so that you can transport them. And if it's a great distance, then you should maybe have, you know, uh, an idea how to transport that animal if it's going to be, you know, a helicopter or whatever. So you should know those things way in advance. And you should, as part of our canine training, we do, you know, we do the building searches, we do all the finds and whatnot, but we should have, we should have throughout the year at least one training where you go meet the staff at the hospital let them know, because some of these people have never dealt with one. If, if you're in a, if you're in a, if you're in an area that doesn't have a UC Davis, and you're going to a, a very small hospital, and they're not used to, you know, 40 cops, 40 cops showing up to their place with guns, you know, and all that, that's really overwhelming for them. So it's a good idea in advance to, to go to these places and meet with them and let them know who you are. Let them meet the dogs in advance, and let them know what could happen if a critical incident occurs with your dog. You know, those type of things can be very, very significant. Um, another very important thing that we all have to think about is get your damn dogs insured. Because as Jared was saying earlier in your show, it takes a lot of people, a lot of energy, and a lot of money to get these dogs trained up. If you're buying, if you're buying a dog from Von Lick or from Adler Horse, we know these dogs are going to be about a twelve or thirteen thousand dollar investment for the green dog, and it's going to cost you it's going to cost you another eight thousand dollars to get the dog trained up, and then you have to buy the equipment. And we know that it's going to be very expensive. If you have an insurance policy when you first get the dog, when those things happen, you don't have to worry about fundraising. You don't have to worry about an association trying to, you know, trying to sell t-shirts, you know, to get your dog replaced. Because you, at some point, you're going to have to replace the dog. That's that's something that's going to come down the pipe. Yeah, you're going to have to deal with the funeral and, the, and all the emotional stuff that comes with comes with the critical end of the dog. But at some point, you're going to have to replace the dog. And and we're we're self-funded, my department is, because we know not every department is self-funded. We had an insurance policy anyway for $65,000. For $65, and that 
took care of the replacement of the dog. And it, in our case, Pedro wasn't killed uh, on scene. We actually transported him to the hospital, and uh, he went through a bunch of surgeries. And it turned out his bills were like about thirty thousand dollars, and uh, all that all of that was covered by by a health insurance policy. And and they have them for working dogs. And and usually there's some sort of risk management um, department or division for your agency that's handling that stuff. And that's that's who should be getting that policy for your dogs. Because that's going to alleviate a lot of a lot of stress down the road as well, right? Um, and also, if you have a good insurance policy, if your dog gets injured, just the normal shit, you know, tearing its skin during training or losing a tooth or whatever, you know, these dogs, <laughs> these dogs are high maintenance, man. They're they're going to have issues. And if you have an insurance policy, often those policies cover just normal. Pet, pet visits and uh, injuries, so you don't have to pay out of pocket for that. It doesn't have to come out of your out of, additional money. Doesn't have to come out of your budget. Another thing to think about: you have to be part. You have to be part of a strong canine association, and we are. We're part of an association that has, I think, eight or nine different agencies that are that are part of it, which makes it really strong because there's a lot of a lot of money and there's a lot of people involved. If you're one of those agencies that are small and you have your association and your association consists of, you know, basically your canines, your canine specialty, right? Your handlers and the sergeant and maybe a civilian person and they're not bringing in tons of money. Um, it's not going to be really helpful for you when this critical incident occurs. If you have a very strong association that is outside of your department that you're part of, they're going to be very significant. They're going to play a very significant role in the managing of your critical incident because they're going to handle, in our case, they handled all the, the press releases, the updates. We did have a PIO working with them. They're going to handle all the donations that are coming because even if you're insured, money's going to be coming in. People just, and, and like Jared said, so, and social media plays a big part. And, and more than likely, Harley was well known, probably you know, globally, right? And so when when this when these things happen, pe- people are going to respond, and they respond often with yeah, with cards and flowers, but with money, they're going to want to try to help. And when that money comes in, you want someone who can, you want that money to be funneled to an association, and not to your department, because if the money comes directly to the department, it goes back to the general fund. It doesn't go back to the specialty, and a lot of people don't know that, right? So that money has it should go back. It should go back to the association. And even if you have an insurance policy and that money comes in, then the association will benefit from those funds that are coming in. Because, like in our case, Pedro lived about six months after his um, his incident. But when he retired, the association then takes care of all the additional medical that he'll need the food, and all those things. And that money has to come from somewhere. So people are helping, even if it doesn't help your dog specifically, if it's deceased or um, it's, you know, not needing the money at the time, other other dogs within the association will at some point need it. So it helps that way. And they'll, and if you have a strong association, they're going to help with the fundraising, of course. And, and then, again, they'll provide continued health care after retirement. So that's really important. Um, you also, in advance, 
in case the, the sergeant's not there or the handler goes down with the dog or the handler's preoccupied, as the sergeant or the administrator, you should have ongoing training within your department, at least once a year. I'm not talking like every month, but at least once a year, go to some briefings and tell and have your fellow, you know, your sergeants there, or at least have a staff meeting with your sergeants and lieutenants and whoever else wants to show up and, and give them a plan of what should happen if a dog goes down. Let the, give them a map. Again, give them a map of the, where the hospital, what, what hospital you're going to go to, how to get there, the telephone numbers, how to deal with the dog in case the dog, in case the handler is injured, but the dog isn't injured or if the dog's injured. So that when that shit happens, it's not a big, you know, big clusterfuck. You want to try to minimize that as much as possible. So, any, any thoughts? <laughs> I've been babbling for 20 minutes straight. <laughs> Yeah. So those are so those are things you want to do in advance, you know, and 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 you should know you should have an idea of what to say when when the press comes knocking and and they are right they're they're coming the press is coming people are coming and um, and as we talked about earlier off off the record is you know there, there's going to be a certain group a percentage of people that are going to just want to question why. It happened. Why didn't the dog have a vest on at the time? Even though the vest wouldn't have mattered in this particular case, right? But have an answer for that. Don't get caught off guard. You know, you gotta you gotta think in advance some of the things that are gonna come up and you're gonna have to have answers for because as we know, yes, the the, the dog and handler relationship is, is a strong bond, but they're ambassadors and your citizens of the jurisdiction that you serve and even perhaps globally, they're they're part of it, man. They're they're part of it, and and we owe them an explanation. And you don't want to seem like a dick up there when it happens. And make sure there's a person who make sure that whoever gives that information out to the public knows what they're talking about, who can explain why things and decisions are made the way they are. Yeah, because um, when this stuff hits the fan. Uh, we learned pretty quickly that m- most guys in the upper echelon of the police department don't really know much about the dogs. Um, if they weren't they a don't. canine guy or a direct supervisor of it. Um, no, they don't. And it's not their fault. I mean, I guess, I guess it could be that they could take a little bit more active role in it, I guess. But, you know, if you're well, chief and, of your and if you're, you have a lot. If, and if, you're, if your program is a successful program, meaning that it's, the dog is final. It's doing a lot of apprehensions. It's finding a lot of dope. It's it's uh, you know you're doing all these demonstrations for you know for kids and for the for the public and everyone loves the dog. If it's running on all cylinders because of uh, basically the sergeant and and the handlers, most uh, upper executive admin are hands off. They they're not going to fucking touch you. But the problem with that is they're out of touch. So it's important that the sergeant is always having that relationship with your lieutenant and captains or deputy chiefs, whatever whatever your hierarchy is, and to make sure that everyone let them know they're part of the success of the program, right? Let them be part. Let them feel like they're part of it, so they're supporting you and and doing those things. And another thing that I actually forgot to talk about that's going to be really important is who's going to make the decisions for the dog when when the hard decisions have to be made and i'm talking hard decisions so in our case 
we were at the hospital. Uh, the neurosurgeon came in and just listed all the things that was wrong with Pedro. And it was a long list, man. And my handler was, um, he was a fucking train wreck. He was in shock and, you know, as you can imagine. We had a, um, because of our association being so big, word, word got out quickly, just like what Jared was talking about. And before you know, we had like 100 people at the hospital. Um, our chief was there, and uh, we were fortunate. He's now retired, but um, he was a, actually a canine handler as well at one point in his career, which was a really good thing to have. And he, he came running. And at some point, anyway, we're in the room, and it's my chief, it's my handler, and it's me. And uh, it's one of those talks that you know, nobody wants to have, and it was happening. And uh, they're, they're giving you a very poor prognosis, and, um, and a decision has to be made whether to treat the dog or not. And who's going to make that decision? You know, some agencies may feel like the agency should or the chief should. You know, in our case, our chief decided it was the handler's decision to make. We gave him input. And uh, that's, you know, it's a, uh, <laughs> that's not a very comfortable position to be in, but it is part of our business and you have to be prepared for it. And whatever the handler decides, well, in our case, we decide the handler's going to make those decisions. Um, you have to support them, right? And then you have to support the handler, as Jared was saying, um, you know, you, you got to give these, you got to give them some time to think it through. So we made the decision to treat the dog which I actually, you know, I gave him this, I, my input in that particular case was to put the dog down. And um, Juan decided to not do that. He wanted to, to treat the dog and we went with it. And because uh, there was a, there was a cost involved, but we knew that at that point it was, the cost was, an, it was a new point because of the insurance policy. Um, and the dog lived for about six months after and he ended up, Pedro ended up, dying uh, probably as a complication to uh, his injuries but um, you're going to have to give you're going to have to have a plan just like an officer involved shooting or or in, in, in the line of duty death you're going to have to you know as you don't have to force you should never force anybody into it, uh, like an employee assistance program but at least have an at least offer it to them you know, every agency should have an employee assistance program. I'm sure that they do. Make sure that your handler knows that that's there for them. Let let the people in your agency know not to bombard, you know, to, to respect the privacy of the handler. Give them or her some time to fucking wrap their head around what happened and, and, and support them. And that's what we did with Juan. So with Juan, he decided... Um, he wanted to come back to work after a few days. We put him in a in a black and white, and um, and he just worked. Uh, we didn't change his hours. We didn't change anything. He did, we we kept him as a cover officer, just like if he was a canine handler. He is a canine handler, but without his dog, we didn't change any of that. And Juan and I, another thing I think administrators need to have is you need to have at least in the specialty have a good relationship with your handlers. You know, you need to have the type of relationship where you can go to your handlers and have those kind of talks like, hey, man, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. And uh, you tell me what you need and I'll make it happen. 
and then monitor that. Make sure you're you're there. Make sure you're checking in. And in Juan's case, he came came to my desk one day. Uh, we were checking in with each other, and he said, Sergeant Ritter, because I I want to continue and I want to get another dog, and that's what we did. And uh, he recovered from it. You know, he got another dog, and and Canine Nico's a Dutch Shepherd that's kicking ass on the streets, and um, and he moved forward. But I, in hindsight, had we not have done and had some of those things uh, in place, as we talked about the, the 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 training, you know, the handling of AMR, the hospitals, the insurance, um, it would have been it would have been much more difficult of a situation, I think. And and hopefully your listeners out there, uh, I'm hoping that there's someone out there that goes, wow, man, we, we're not doing that, and we should. Then, then I think your show is, is a success tonight. Yeah, that was a novel concept you said about administrators having a good relationship with their handlers. But, uh, yeah, you would think I, that would go without saying, but it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. Well, it doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. Unfortunately, as we all know, you know, it depends on the size of the agency. The canine sergeant, if it's a big agency, he may be solely in charge of canine itself, right? He may have a dog. And he may be part of that group. That guy or woman is going to be much more intimately involved with his group than the guy who or the sergeant who isn't that person. Who is a smaller agency is an ancillary assignment. You're basically managing it, but you don't have a dog. You don't. You know, you're just doing your thing. You're just making sure that you know the guys show up for training, and there and there there's a disconnect there, and uh, that's going to be that's problematic. You know that that person hopefully at some point listens to your show and uh, needs to understand that because he's going to be or that person's going to be in charge. When this shit happens, everyone's going to rely on that sergeant, right? And so the sergeant better be prepared. Hopefully, you know, again, that's the time when hopefully the, the test doesn't come before the lesson. You know, do you take these lessons now and, and try to um, make things the best you can so when those things happen, you're at least best prepared because they are going to happen. We know it may happen tomorrow. In some agency in the United States, there's gonna there's a dog out there right now that's not going to be here tomorrow night. Maybe you know more likely, and and uh, hopefully that that agency has um, taken some precautions and some measures to deal with that when it comes. Yeah, that's it. It is the like the elephant in the room where nobody wants to. Yeah, that, you know, we'll just deal with it when it happens. And if we do it that way, nobody, it'll never happen. But that's just not how the real world works. Yeah. And you, and there are, there are foundations out there that are willing to help you and seek those, you know, your, your association or your general fund doesn't have to pay for it all. There's, there's eight, there's, there's good groups out there that are that want to reach out and help. I don't know if cover your uh, cover your canine is um, it goes out nationally. I know it's in California, and they're high, they they come out and they seek you out. They go to all the they're very proactive with the agencies out here. They contact the canine sergeant like, hey, how can we help you? We have funding. We want to send your handlers. Have they, have your handlers gone to any schools yet? Do they need to go to first aid courses? Do you guys need and they they have like gas masks or you know. Um, you know, fentanyl training. They they provide training. It's it's amazing what's out there. And and you know, I'm a big advocate of training because you know you do as you train. And um, and and all of us, you know, Eric and and Jared, you, you know it. You always fall back to your training when the sh- when the shit hits the fan. 
and I've seen it firsthand myself. And I saw it with Juan when when Pedro went down. You know, he he wasn't a he wasn't a mess at the time. He was focused and trying to save his dog, and he had tools to work with, which empowered him. And and in fact, the neurosurgeon um, said, had he not have put him on a spinal board, had he thrown him in the back of his car, he actually would have killed his dog. You know, mm-hmm. so that tra- that training was it was for. And if I can just say one more thing, all, all these different thoughts come to mind. In California, and probably only in California, <laughs> there was we found out after the fact that uh, that it was there was a law that prohibited uh, anyone but a veterinarian to provide medical treatments to dogs and to animals, including what? yeah, dude, true story, <laughs> in, in, include including including the administration of just oxygen because that's considered a treatment. So, you know, the, the no one bust, no one busted our balls on it, but it was, it was made known to us that there was, you know, that statute existed. And, uh, and so <laughs> what did we do? We went to the Capitol and we changed the law. So uh, my handler testified. I was, I was there and we had a couple of other representatives there and um, we ended up uh, amending the law that now actually allows the handlers and first responders to actually provide uh, treatment to to their dogs. So it's just this is one of those you know things that most people would never think about, and you would never know until shit happens. But um, it's just something you know, just something to think about. You know, to know you know who is and who's not allowed to touch your dog, and if something's not right, and you have the time, go go change it. Yeah, Jared, before I get into my end of it, um, one of the things that comes out of these dogs getting killed is we find deficiencies in the laws in states. In Ohio, they they yeah. made Jethro's law. Um, what What is Indiana's position as of right now? Uh, Indiana does not see uh, working police dogs as officers. So it's actually a higher crime if, some, if he would have stole Harley than killed Harley, which is just crazy. Really? Yeah. yeah, most places get it changed after after a, a dog gets killed, at least to make it a a felony of some level, you know, to kill a yes. police dog or a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, and I think there's a Senate bill now. Yeah, good. You and and I'll tell you, I'm going to warn you now. You're going to end up at the state house. You're going to end up doing the testifying. Yeah. Um, you and maybe that your other handler or somebody, but it's definitely going to be you. Um, yeah, that that is exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah, and it should be, and it should be him because it's, power, yeah. it's powerful. You know, like and the handlers even, up there, even guys from both well, sides we of the, the aisle, we, cry when you do that. Yes, you know? yep. We were in the state capitol, and uh, we were testifying uh, to the to the subcommittee um, when Juan was giving his play by play of the events that night. You, you you couldn't fucking drop a pin in that room without being hurt. It was it was it was a very focused group, and they were listening to every word. And it was it was very powerful. Um, it's very very powerful when the handler, um, as Jared told his story tonight, how powerful that it, you know you get sucked right into it, man. And it's um, it's it's something that that even though it's a shitty situation, you you're still gonna do good down the road. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in the long run, it, it will do. Um, it'll do things, you know, to get back some, a little bit of retribution on some folks, you know, going forward in their just desserts. But um, I'll go ahead and get into my section of of this story. Uh, ours is a little chaotic, but um, it goes to show you about getting caught with kind of with your pants down when it comes to preparation. It ties into to what Frank was saying. Yeah. Um, so, you know, our, I, I was a full-time trainer up until I retired. All I did was dogs. Um, I trained all the Canton dogs and then we had like 32 other dogs that came to us. Um, so I was pretty well known in the area and pretty, um, deep, deep into canine. Everybody knows how, um, personal I, I throw everything I have into the dogs and the teams. So, um, I'm sleeping one night and I used to keep my, I used to keep my phone on the floor next to the bed. Either I used it as an alarm clock or I just kept it just in case. And this particular night in January, 2016, the phone was in the other room charging. And, um, so I, I hear something just wakes me up and it's, uh, I can't remember if it was beating on my door or if it was, um, a doorbell. Now, keep in mind, I live 30 minutes away from the city in a private gated lake. So, like, nobody comes to my door. Nobody. Um, and I have a, I had a pretty violent career when I was in the police department. Shootings, a lot, a lot of different things. Everyone knows I always carry a gun. Um, just, just the way my life has always been in police work. So, I, of course, grab a pistol, head down to the door. I'm in my underwear. And... I look out through the window and it's one of my handlers and he's like ringing the doorbell and then backing away from the door. Like, please don't shoot me. Um, and it, it's Joe. And he says, dude, we've been calling you and texting you. And I eventually I looked, I had like 45 missed phone calls. Um, and it was uh, them to tell me Jethro got shot. I'm like, how's Ryan? Ryan's good. He's, he's, I think he's there. Ryan shot at the guy that the guy got shot, get dressed, get dressed, get dressed. So, grab my shit, hop in Joe's car, and we go lights and sirens back to the city. Um, I get to the emergency vet, and it's a it's one of those 24-hour, you know, nighttime vet office. And there's like four or five cruisers there and a couple other cars, um, but mostly just cruisers. So we get there, and um, Ryan's in there, and Jethro's in the back, and they're, you know, Deal, working with him so they start telling me the story and if you go back to listen to the very first episode of working dog radio we interviewed ryan and he he told his story in there so you can go get those the details yeah. of what happened um but we're there and so you know all the phone calls are being made and everything and then as daylight starts breaking um a lady comes in to the vet's office with a bunch of donuts and coffee and bagels and things. She has no idea what's going on, but she sees all the cruisers there and, and some civilian cars and realizes something's wrong. So I, and I don't know if it was her, but all of a sudden, like Frank said, the media sh shows up and they, they are coming. None of us called them. Nobody in my department called them. Somebody called the media. So a TV station showed up and, um, during my career with a couple different chiefs that I had there, they gave me, as long as I had permission to, you know, ahead of time, they gave me all the power to speak to the media when it came to the canine stuff because they knew I wasn't going to um, 
give out trade secrets or case details or, you know, throw anything under the bus or just like that. Um, I dealt with the media all the time. So I went out and talked to him. I said, listen, I, I can't talk to you. I can't tell you what's going on. Uh, this That's way deep level of, of approval. Um, in the meantime, you know, our captains, one of them, one or two of them are out of town. The other one lives far away. Um, we finally get through to the chief. Chief calls my union president. He calls me and says, hey, the chief says you can get a statement. So then that starts. Once I give the first statement, then all the news media trucks come out. And we end up doing, I, I probably did six or eight interviews from the hospital. Um, but while we're at the emergency vet's office, because Jethro lived about a day and a half, um, the uh, people start showing up. And this is something that, that um, word spreads. And it's social media. We, I mean, we posted about it on our Police Canine Association page. Um, just because, you know, our association has a lot of fans, a lot of people that like what we do. And we didn't do it for attention and we didn't do it for um, trying to raise money or anything like that. Just, I don't know, it just felt like we, we needed support, you know what I mean, from uh, whoever would send uh, prayers to us. Like I said, he was struggling. Um, the, the round that hit him in the head, which is ultimately the one that killed him, it didn't penetrate, but it caused a, a, a brain injury that kept his brain from settling, which kept his heart from settling. And ultimately, his heart gave out. Um, but so word starts spreading. People are coming, and they're, they're just coming to see what's up. People that we know, a lot of people we don't know, kids, everybody. Um, then, uh, the one captain came, uh, who is now the chief, he showed up. Um, I still did all the, the news media. He's like, you, you, you're doing fine. Just go ahead and handle it. Ryan, the handler was there, his wife, his kids. Um, and it just, we had like, like Frank was saying, we had, um, I don't know, man, at the hospital. And, and I think Jared said too, we had a couple hundred people at this veterinary clinic. And, um, it was so much so that I started answering the phone at the vet clinic because it was always for us every time. Um, people started bringing food, like tons of food. I, I don't know. It's crazy, man. Like, like how does this, it just starts snowballing and it starts rolling. Um, we were able to, um, so somebody, you know, and here's the thing. Uh, if, if you're, the trainer or handler, the sergeant or whatever, and you feel maybe in the beginning of this that like the admins above you are kind of dropping the ball. And listen, everyone knows there's no one harder on admins than me. Um, it's really not their fault. If it's not prepared, if they're not doing the things like Frank was talking about, um, they are in panic mode, guys. They, they don't know what to do and they feel like shit mm -hmm. about that. So somebody has to do it. And that somebody ended up being me and Chris. Chris is, was a handler and, uh, or is a handler. And now he, he's the head trainer since I retired. Um, we were just, and, and Ryan is one of these guys, man, that, that um, works hard. And it's pretty hard to outwork Ryan. And he wanted to be, help do things. We're like, no, nah, man, just, you know, we were screening who was coming to see him and talk to him. This is all still within like 10, 12 hours at the vet's office pouring in phone calls people start coming in randomly they walk in and they're boom putting money down on the 
on the desk to help pay for the bills right away. Um, that was, you know, crazy, like crazy to see. And um, so then at some point, and this is, if you're in a situation where, you know, Jared's situation was different because his, his dog had already passed, um, is that while they're there fighting, at some point, the handler, who's not going to want to leave, has to go rest, man. He has to get some sleep, even if it's in a room there at the, at the vet's office. And that's what Ryan did. He just went and slept in a back room. And I ended up leaving. My wife came and picked me up. I'd been there, I don't know, like 13 or 14 hours. I went home. And um, I was thinking, oh, you know, a few days later, we'll, he'll be okay. And I remember I was at my brand new kennel working, doing some stuff, and my phone rings. And um, it's uh, Chris tell me, you, you need to, you got to get here now. He's dying. Um, <clears throat> so I had to, you know, that's, again, a 30-minute drive. So, I, you know, 110 miles an hour the whole way there. And I had, uh, he was gone when I got there. Uh, so I had missed it. Um, Chris had jumped in and uh, with the doctor and jumped up on the table and performed uh, chest compressions and helping doing the CPR for the dog when, when things were going south. So he had to deal with that. And by the time I got there, he's already draped in the flag. Um, and then, so that's when, that's when a lot of the shit starts. Like the really weird, goofy uh, shit starts. Um, so right, right then and there, there was a, um, a guy who was a former canine handler, was a sergeant, or he may have been a lieutenant by now, he was a fucking jerk off. He shows up trying to interject his bullshit in there. Un Nobody wanted him there. Um, thankfully, everybody saw through it and told him to get the fuck out. Um, but now we're, we're in this powwow in the back. Dog's still laying there on the slab with the, with the, the flag over him. Now, now what are we going to do? Um, and again, listen, the handler can't be in there. Um, this has got to be the guys, the sergeant, um, and, and whomever else. And for me, it was me and Chris and um, the captain and, and the, my sergeant. And we're like, fuck, I, I don't know what to do. Um, we immediately just fucking picked a date for a funeral, you know, like a few days later. And we just had to you know, get busy and start cranking this shit out. Um, but in the meantime, people are still calling. How do we give money? How do we, how do we do it? I, I actually got on the news media and I was like, listen, you don't have to send money. We don't want to. And this is what um, Frank was talking about earlier. And Jared's probably seeing a lot of this. It doesn't matter if you, if you say you don't have to. Um, the money's coming. And I'll talk about that in a minute and the, and the issues and problems that can um, create when you don't have an association. Um, but the money, the money's coming. It's, it's going to start coming. People are, kids are going to start bringing in their change and, uh, cards with money and all that shit. So anyways, um, so right away we pick, uh, a funeral date and I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. So, um, and neither did Chris and I said, Chris, I said, I, I, I need help. I can't do this. Can you can you run the, um, the funeral side of it, right? The, uh, setting up the, the, 
the actual dog side of the funeral, the procession and getting all the handlers and all that stuff. Um, and uh, I'll handle all the admin stuff and, and everything else. I reached out to um, a lieutenant named Lisa, who's now a captain and is a, an amazing woman and a, um, a uh, b big supporter of the canine unit. So she jumped in and helped because you can't, you can't do it all yourself. You have to ask for help. Um, even if you, and you need to pick the go-getter, the person who is like, I don't know what to do, but I'm, I'll fucking do it. I'm going to go, you know, get some shit done. And then I reached out to the guy who runs the honor guard. Okay. Can you handle that end? Um, meanwhile, Chris, he's like, I, we didn't, we didn't have anybody. We didn't have any, um, anyone to even contact, you know, like, like how would you guys do? So. But we did find um, up in Toledo, Ohio, they had a dog killed the year before, and, and Chris had been at the funeral, so he talked to them a little bit. But what Chris did was he went over, he was just kind of exasperated, and he went to a local funeral home. Um, the, the lady who runs a funeral home dates a, a lieutenant in our department, and we've known her forever. And he just went and collapsed in her lobby. He just sat down, and uh, she came out, and she knew what he wanted. And so we, we used the funeral home people to help us get that set up. So if, if you're in that type of situation, re reach out to those type of people. They do it every day, several times a day. You know, they'll, they'll show you what, where you set up the monument and this and that and all this other stuff that happens. Um, and keep in mind, this whole time, your admins don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to act. They, they don't know what to do. And the sideline is the money is still coming in, Okay. That's important to understand. The money is still coming in. Because right away, when Jethro got killed, a lady named Beth, who we knew, started a GoFundMe account. Originally, the GoFundMe account was to fund the hospital bills. Um, when immediately we told her, said, listen, people are bringing in money for the hospital bills. And then the, the vet office ultimately um, waived all of the rest of the bills. Um, they ate about 10 grand on that. Um, so then she's like, well, uh, I want to buy vests with it then, right? We talked about vests are, are super popular, and at the time we didn't have them. They were old, you know, old flak vest stuff we had. So she sets that up. Now, sadly, some other people tried to set up scam GoFundMe accounts because people suck. They just fucking suck. And we figured that out pretty quickly, and GoFundMe actually shut it down. But you have to have someone who's paying attention to that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, our chief at the time was furious that this woman started this GoFundMe account. He was just, I don't even think he fucking understands the internet at all, but he was super upset by it. And it ended up becoming a huge problem between him and I. Um, so the money, right away, she starts it right away. And by the end of the first day, it's just like $10,000, $15,000 in that thing. Um, so we're dealing with all that. So then we have to go through with the funeral. And, um, and then right after the funeral and, and listening to Frank talk, this is probably, uh, it was a, may have been a mistake on my part. Maybe not. Um, I go to Ryan and approach him about a new, are you getting another dog? Are you, um, getting, um, back on the horse, what's happened. And the reason I did that is because I know Ryan. I've known him 20 years at this point. Ryan does, is really, he's a, he's a human Malinois. He's really good at working. 
What he's not good is not working. He's really bad at doing nothing. He needs to do stuff, right, um, all the time. And I knew it. So it, it went so fast. We got him down to Texas Canines for Cops, got him a new dog. Um, his handler class <laughs> started February 1st. His dog died January 10th. So right or wrong, I was like, I, I think I got to get him back on the horse right away for that. Um, and, and him and Tuco have a great career, and everything went really well. There was growing pains in the beginning with the two of them. But um, in his case, that worked out. But what I wouldn't do in, in hindsight now is treat everyone that way. And like Jared was saying, they're giving him the space and the time, and that's awesome. It's just a few weeks ago this happened to him. Um, and if, if any of you, you, your admins are listening, I, I beg them to um, let Jared just do this. When he's ready, he's ready. Um, and it might be tomorrow he might make his decision. But you've you got to give him a little bit of that time. Um, which I didn't, and um, but in our case, it, it worked out. Um, and the whole time, all this is happening, I'm still trying to train. I'm pre-training dogs every day. I'm still pre-training dogs for an upcoming class, and I'm training dogs, and then I'm going down to the police department three times a day to get mail. That's why I asked Jared about the mail. Uh, two or three big uh, postal service containers full of mail, Every day. Um, and Ryan and I, uh, we opened because Ryan, he was, again, bored, not good at doing nothing, came out to the canine field. We opened every single piece of mail, uh, probably 3,000, 4,000 pieces of mail. I yeah. got yeah, 1,200 messages. I got 1,200 yeah, messages on the Facebook page the first day. I personally answered every single one of those messages with a thank you or something. And one of my, uh, the vice president of our association was on vacation. He called, what can I do? I go, dude, please, please answer these messages. So you have to be able to lay some of that work off on your, on your guys. Um, everybody's got to help. Um, Ultimately, we ended up with three to 4,000 messages there. I got 350 messages from people, uh, voicemails um, about uh, dogs, wanting to give us dogs, puppies, Rottweilers, Dobermans, uh -huh. Shepherd, everything. Um, and I personally called every single one of those people. Um, in the meantime, still trying to train dog, still trying to deal with all this. And, the, and in the mail is money. A lot of it is coming in. And that's when the fucking fights start. Um, the fight starts with the agency over the money because they were pissed that we said, send, if you're going to send money, send it to the Police Canine Association because we're a 501c3. The right. police department is not. It is not. So this is where um, what Frank was saying about an association, most, like Beth's, a GoFundMe account, it required that that money go to a 501c3, that it absolutely did not, could not go straight to a police department. Um, well, most police departments aren't legally allowed to take the money. Uh, our place was in a gray area. They didn't really know. But I tell you what they, the fucking chief did know is he was bitching me and ordering me to give him all of the money. So um, when the money was coming in, if the check said, Police Canine Association, we kept it. 
If it said Canton Police or Police Canine, just that, the city took it. Um, and really, they probably, yeah, they probably got just in the checks, like, I don't know, $20,000 or something like that, maybe less than that. Um, but that's how much money is coming in. It's, it's <coughs> insane. And it's a lot overwhelming. I was a patrolman and I was fighting because I didn't give a shit. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And I would fight them and fight them, uh, for, for the money. Um, because we were going to do what's right with it. I didn't know what they were going to do with it. And like Frank said, I did not want it to go into the general fund. I wanted to go for, you know, to the, to the right place. So the right. money's coming in, getting going in. And um, to the chief's credit, though, he started a canine fund, right? And the money was, was going into the canine fund. There was the lieutenant who's still currently in charge of the admin stuff, paying the bills is a good dude. And he was in making sure that that stuff was done right. Um, Cause I didn't want us buying uh, some bullshit for the rest of the department with, with Jethro's money. I was definitely being very um, proprietary of that stuff. And uh, I would fight them all the way through and I didn't care. Uh, what are they going to do? Fire me? No. What are they going to put me on midnights? Who gives a fuck? I was on midnights for years. What are you going <laughs> to do to me? So, um, I uh, would fight them on it, and then that GoFundMe, though, that GoFundMe, the chief and I, who we got along pretty well. I've known him since he was a patrolman, got into some screaming matches over that fucking GoFundMe money. Then in the background of all that stuff, ABC News calls. They wanted to come over. We did ABC News, to Today Show. We did everything, every big major news organization Ryan or Ryan and I did interviews for. Um, and that's the thing, and, and the guys can tell you, Jared, your, your department's probably getting their door knocked down. People want to hear from you. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. Um, it could be done right. Um, the, 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 uh, like a major network guy came over from I think it was ABC or maybe CBS. Um, big, huge production deal, and it was very well done. And they didn't try to game you know, make us look like dicks or game us or anything like that. It was pretty, it, they were pretty good to us. Um, and so this is every day, all day, nonstop. And then I'm still going down. I have to get the mail and the mail's coming. Ryan took, ultimately took every single piece of that mail home with him. Every single piece of it. Uh, he has cases and cases and cases of mail. Um, yeah, if you listen to that episode with it, him, they, he talks about, a couple times a year, they'll take it out and read, I don't know, 20 or 30. Yeah, him and his daughter will read, him and his daughter and wife. Yep. Yeah, and artwork, crazy yeah. artwork uh, starts coming in. Um, and I don't know, Jared, if any of that stuff has started coming to you yet. Um, oh, yeah, you're exactly right. We got yeah. so, I've got it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing pieces, too. It's like... How, how, where are all these artists? Like some of the shit that these guys did, and I would message him, so are you an artist? He's like, nah, man, I work at the fucking post office. I'm like, what? <laughs> like amazing yeah, pieces. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, were getting, we ended yeah, up we were giving some of, you okay, were getting we were what? Getting we, we were getting trees. People were sending us like memory trees. What? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like, like a plastic I've got, tree. I've got some and, of those too. Right? And then we got yeah. like, yep. En engravings, you know, carvings, and, and it was all kinds of uh, all kinds of artwork is coming your way for sure. Right, and the hard thing for you, Jared, and for the other handlers to remember 
is that the dog was the police department's dog. So as much as they send that stuff to you and you would like to maybe keep it all, you do going to have to give, I mean, we put, we put pictures of the dog up at the police department. We had some back by the chief's office in the admin area. We have some prominently displayed other places, things like that. Ryan took some of it. He's got like a shrine at his house. Um, there's, uh, it's definitely got to spread. There's so much will come in that it isn't possible that you can handle all of it. You're going to end up having a storage unit for it. Um, and that, you know, you just, it's, it's crazy, but that really is where you feel how good people are, um, and how much they want to support you. Um, and then at the end of my story, I'll tell you, so our funeral goes off. It was, uh, it went off very well at the end of the funeral, everybody like our, our admins, our captains were stressed mainly because our chief was stressing the fuck out, like crazy stressing, wanting me to write a speech for him. I'm like, fuck you. I got my own speech to do kid. You do your own. Um, and at the end, one captain came up and goes, thank you guys for pulling this off, you know. And and I didn't look down on him or the other captains because they didn't really participate at all. They didn't know what to do, right? They trusted us to do the, to be adults and, and handle the shit. Um, and then at the end, when the, uh, the GoFundMe account is done, when that campaign is over, um, is always interesting. Uh, so there was thirty-some thousand dollars in there. I, I took out. Um, I had to buy seven vests. Uh, the vests were like a thousand bucks a piece, so that was seven thousand dollars. GoFundMe took their cut, and then being in, in the twenties, and um, the chief at the time, not nobody else, but the chief at the time ordered that I had to give him all the rest of that money, or he was going to shake hand the unit. Um, that's how bad. That's how much fighting goes on sometimes inside with this money bullshit. Um, and uh, so I do, I, I got the check and it was, or I wrote the, the, the money came to association. I wrote him the balance check, which was, I don't know, say $27,000. Um, and it, I had a handler deliver it to him down there. And he, he said that chief motherfucked me up and down that I stole money. Where's all the money? Uh, all this other shit. Um, and so sometimes, man, good, really good things will come out of this and sometimes some really weird, weird shit. So if you guys are involved in this, don't be surprised if you see some, like, really strange behavior out of people when it comes to all this stuff. Um, there were people that wanted to make a big, huge deal in the newspaper and the media about him taking all that money. Um and the only reason why I didn't is because the money went into that fund and they do use it for the K9 unit. It's never been used for anything else. Um, it's used for mostly emergency stuff, you know, vet bills that we didn't expect, uh, hot and pop systems and a couple things like that. But, um, otherwise, uh, it, we probably would have tried to end his career over that money. That's how serious it was. So, um, yeah, if it gets if it gets to that point, man, things really strange things can happen when it comes to money. And like we were saying, the money is going to come. You can't stop the people. I don't blame them, but you can't stop them. <sighs> okay, that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but they have their. But that's why. Yes. That's why it's important that you get that message out there. 
when it happens, you have to send your Fortunately, now we have social media. Most departments have a pretty strong social media section. We do, you know, Facebook and all that, and get the message out. Get the message out there to people who want to help. To to send them money, not to a GoFundMe account, but send it to your association directly. All and then let the association deal with that. It just makes it so much like like you said, it makes it so much easier because the money's coming. If you have an association instead of a GoFundMe, it's going to be. That would be my recommendation, 100%. Yeah. So, Jared, are you guys um, kind of just doing this all yourself, or do you have an association? We have a – there's been some uh, – right away, like you said, you guys are hitting it right on the nail, and that stuff that you can't ever think about. The money comes in. The money comes in the next day um, once everything once everything catches and everyone hears about it. We have – People are writing in to uh, or put money into a canine foundation, uh, or people do a GoFundMe, and that's basically where the money is going right now. It's just the foundation and the GoFundMe, and then now we've got like we've got pieces being made right now. So part of those, those proceeds are going to the foundation, and we're getting a lot of um, local businesses. I, I'm lucky enough that we Fishers is very pro law enforcement community. Is we're getting a lot of businesses that are donating. You know, portions of the proceeds are going to go to the foundation or from this time to this time, all the money is going to go straight to the canine unit. Um, and uh, like I said, some families, if, if you were in a, involved in a situation like this, everyone takes this differently. One thing that I wanted to do from the beginning was make sure that I was the one, like we did, for example, the news. So instead of having six different interviews with the news, we did one interview one day where if you wanted to do an interview, then you can meet me at the police department. I did an interview where, you know, four news stations did an interview uh, for me. But I, I also wanted to be the one that I show up now at these PR things just to be able to say thank you. That was the only thing, um, the only way I can say thank you to all these people that are donating money that I have no idea who they are and just simply say thank you. And, you know, I wanted to be able to represent our canine unit in a positive way and our police department. So I've chosen to do that. And obviously that takes its own toll in doing all of that, but, uh, I didn't want to look back on this, you know, a year from now. I'm like, I wish I would just said thank you to people more or showed up to some of those events. So I've chosen to do that and uh, just, you know, just to tell people thank you. And, that, you know, a lot of times people just want to see the handler uh, and they kind of don't want to hear from other people. But at the same time, some handlers just don't even want to be involved with it anymore because it does get so intense and all the support. It, it, it becomes extremely overwhelming for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's weird, you know, for, for handlers and cops just kind of going through your daily life on, on duty, unknown by people. Um, it's, it's weird. We, we always joke with Ryan um, everywhere we go is the canine unit. We always go, oh, hey, are you Ryan Davis? Because that was <laughs> he became a celebrity, out there, <laughs> which is uncomfortable for cops, right? It's, it's not mm-hmm. normal. And it's weird. Knowing Ryan, but, I don't know him as well as you do, but knowing Ryan, <laughs> like, I'm sure he really appreciates that. <laughs> oh, we break his balls nonstop. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but you're right. You're right, Jared. People do want to see you. And, and again, it's still, it's still your time and your timeline, but they do want to see you. And, and it's not like you owe the public anything, but it's, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing to do that. It's actually, it's probably a little therapeutic. You know, it, it, it does, you know, it's a lot of the same sense and same comments over and over again, but nobody means any ill will towards it. It's just right. a lot of people don't even know what to say to you, you know. 
Exactly. Um, well, and it's so, like, you have so many people that show up at your house and officers showing up. And, and I remember my brother-in-law was like, man, are, like, you know, a week into this, I was like, are you tired of this? And I was like, as much as it's difficult for me to get, you know, to be able to speak and, and tell people kind of what happened, it's like a lot of guys just simply want to be like, dude, I am so glad that you're okay. I thought it was you, you know, because the media starts putting out and, and uh, you know, bless them, I guess, that they're putting out a canine officer uh, is killed and they're, you know, they're putting that the dog isn't as an officer, but they put that out and a lot of people think that you're the one that got killed because it's you and your dog's picture blasted all over the media, you know, so I'll uh, get a lot of, uh, a lot of people that show up just simply that just want to see you and be like, I'm so glad you're still here, man, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we had a lieutenant who's, who, um, and now this is a lieutenant at the police department. He was an older guy and everything. But, and I even threw him under the bus at the uh, memorial dedication. He said to us, all, all this for a dog? And it's like, dude, yeah. you, don't, you just don't fucking understand a thing. Uh, you're lucky I don't knock your fucking teeth down your throat. Because that's, it's an unbelievably, it just tells you uh, actually all you really need to know about that guy as a cop and what, how seriously he takes things. All this for a dog? Yeah, asshole. All of this yeah. for that dog who saved that guy's life. All of it. Yeah. Jerk off. Um, that guy still pisses me off. Can you tell? Um, <laughs> Shitheads. So, well, dude, so. dude, I make my uh, I make my handlers I make my handlers bring their dogs in for when they have briefings every day. I want those dogs out of the cars in the department, and I want that exposure. I want the I want them sitting there at briefing with all the other officers. I want them walk around the department. I want the dogs just for that reason. So they're not just seen as another dog, but they're seen as a member of the department. Correct. And if you're listening to this and you're an admin, like a captain, lieutenant, uh, assistant chief or chief, learn your dog's names. You should know your dog's names. Not wait till something bad happens to them. Know your dog's names. That's, That's kind of a smack in the face. Unless you're an NYPD that has 150 dogs. Or Chicago yeah. or someplace like that. There's no reason you don't know your dog's names. Um, well, dude, you know, you know what you, know what you do to rectify that? Do you know what you do to rectify that? When you when your handlers go out and do demos for like you know some school or something, and uh, the kids get all excited, you tell the kids, "Hey, you gotta do me a favor. I, so draw some pictures or whatever of the dog and send them to my chief because he loves hearing about the dog. And all of a sudden, the chief is inundated with all these pictures with the dog." From the kids, you know, so that you make, you, make, you create that awareness for them. Yeah, I agree absolutely. So, Jared, what um, what what's uh, what's the future look like here in the next? Are you taking more time off, or or what are you doing? So, I went back to work probably about two weeks ago, uh, and uh, as you guys touched on it, of uh, uh, my shift lieutenant has kept me as a role. Uh, and has tried to keep everything as normal as normal could be. Um, so that has helped with it because, like you guys are saying, there's so much stuff that goes on that you really can't prepare for. So you kind of just have to try to get that same routine that you have. Um, but I said in the beginning that I never once felt like I, I was going to walk away from K9 after this. So I will be getting another dog, and uh, I'm actually set uh, to go through the trainer's course up at Bonlet Kennels again um, for at the uh, end of January. So it's kind of nice to, to take time right now and uh, telling people obviously the holidays and things like that. But just to just to take my time, honor Harley for what he did, and then that way, first of the year hits, so I can start 
mentally getting ready to to get back on there. And I said, uh, it's my it's my job now to make another dog and uh, build that relationship with another dog. Yeah, um, and one thing that uh, Ted and I will caution you in because we talk about it at our seminars is you really have to you really have to fight, and, and Frank could probably back me up on this. You really have to fight the comparison. Um, yeah. When you get back on the horse and you get back with that dog, the dog that um, the dog that you're getting is the dog in front of you, and that's your that's your guy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I've heard it. Like I said, uh, you know, uh, when I mentioned Matt Jared, that's uh, what he said. He's like, my hardest thing is that I that I had to deal with is I just compared my first dog to every single dog that I've gotten after. You know, he's worked, you know, five six dogs now. Um, but he's, you know, he's like, I just it's it's horrible because I I think he's like I didn't take the time and now it's it's just been plaguing me because I just keep comparing the dogs and. I know it's going to happen. I don't think I'm fully ready for that, but I feel that, you know, Von Wick does a good job of that. Is, you know, well, second time handling, first time handling, like, if you class, and, like, first rule number one, just like you guys are saying, you cannot compare this dog with your other dog because it's not the same. Yep. Yeah, and that doesn't, when, and when you're, when you get to the point where you're not comparing, it doesn't mean you're killing Harley's legacy. It doesn't. And I think nope. that's where guys think. I think they get involved in that in their head a little bit. Um, and I, I get that just from being, a, uh, you know, an amateur psychologist. When you're dealing with handlers, you've got to be a, a psychologist. So. Uh, yeah. I, I think that becomes Thanks easier. Thanks for coming on. on. <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing I want to say is, um, uh, Jared, we, uh, you know, I don't know if you how much you follow us, but uh, we own another company called HRD Police Canine. Uh, with high-risk deployment, police canine. We travel around the country doing scenario-based training. We are going to be, in 2020, we're going to be in um, Indiana three times right now, uh, a couple times with with our scenario thing, and I think a, a decoy school. Is that correct, Ted? Uh, we're doing a decoy school prior to the HRD class so that we can use, okay. we're going to come back and use those guys that we train, some of them, for the um, yeah. HRD thing. Yeah, for the HRC. Yeah, so we, Jerry, we want to invite you, invite you free of charge to one of our events um, in the HRD. If you get on HRDPoliceCanine.com, it's got the schedule on there. If, if you get your dog and you want to come, you know, get back on that horse, put yourself through the test, put the dog through the test, uh, we'll help make you uh, even better for the street. Um, we would love to have you. Yeah. Perfect. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Thank you, guys. Yep. No problem. So, Frank, uh, what do you got going on? Anything? Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm uh, nine months. I'm going to be in your shoes. I'm going to be retired. I'm punching out on October 5th. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, dude. Yes. Nice. I'm super, super excited about it. Uh, I can't wait for it to happen. And uh, I, have, I have no idea what I'm going to do yet. And we'll see how things unfold. I'll do something. I'm All sure right. it'll be dog related. I'm but, sure you yeah. will. <laughs> <laughs> Brushing dog's teeth or some shit for a living. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I, don't like, uh, I don't like your dog's ass or something, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Man. Well, uh, Jared and Frank, man, guys, I really appreciate it. Um, this was sort of an unplanned um, episode, and it's kind of fitting for um, the end of the year, um, seeing as this quarter has been particularly rough for um, our tiny pocket of this industry. And... Um, Man, I 
I super appreciate both of you guys' input. Um, Frank, again, as you know, a second time guest, um, you know, yeah, I appreciate it. And Jared, you know, I, we're going to be up there with HRD and central, like, is this central Indiana, like Canyon association or something? If I remember right, I have to look at it. Um, but even if you want to come out for an audit spot, if you like, you get a super young dog, you want, I would love to have you there for, um, the HRD thing that we have coming up. I think it's in, I want to say it's in April or June, if I remember right, of 2020. Um, I'll have to check, but I know we're, I'm going to be up there like three, Eric and I are going to be up there like three times. So, but we would love Perfect. to have you guys out. And if you want to bring some of the other canine handlers out, I mean, just um, let us know and we'll make it happen, but it's going to be a big group, but um, you know, it's a difficult topic. This one, I, I mean, nobody ever, ever plans to have to do this, um, but it, it happens. And, you know, it, one of the things that I say HRD a lot is that canine handlers are disproportionately put at the highest instance of use of force in any specialized position in law enforcement um, and in the military. Um, Eric and I and Alicia and, and Ray and um, everybody has a friend that's a handler in a special operations unit in the military um, and was recently injured um, by getting shot. And he, um, same thing, like all the handlers in his unit were shot during one rotation. And canine handlers are usually, and canines are usually at the forefront of that. Um, when shit gets funky, like that's where everybody kind of turns to, especially if they're good. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, it, it sort of underscores why Eric and, and I and Ray and Alicia do what we do and why this project is even where we're at today, having this conversation and HRD. So, you know, for everybody listening, you know, it, it's a holistic view. Take everything as it is and, and, and continue to train and continue to push and admins listening, like take the advice that Frank has given you and that Eric have given you and like get to know your handlers, know the dog's names, have a fucking plan in place for administrating if shit gets weird and not just for human or not just for canines, but for humans also, because I know a lot of departments that don't have policies for that either, or even a discussion on it. But, um, this episode has right. been really good. Um, I think it's fitting for finishing out uh, HRD or uh, uh, fucking working dog radios, um, like first full gnarly big year. So guys, I really appreciate it. It's been really good. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, man. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excellent. All right, good. Thank you, man. We'll, we'll see everybody next. See you in twenty twenty. Our very first sponsor, our most loyal guy, is Arno over at ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. I love his tugs, his suits, everything he's got going on. His hidden sleeve is yeah. legit. His trainer yeah. sleeves, all that stuff, man. We get a lot of stuff from Arno. When you call, he's the guy that answers the phone. He's a one-man operation, kicking ass over there. He's over in Vegas. If you're in town, hook him up and check him out. Ted, talk about his website and discount code. It's uh, ALM. K9, the letter K number nine, equipment.com. That's ALMK9equipment.com. If you use the discount code WDR radio, it'll give you 10% off your first order as long as it's not a suit. He has, I just saw recently too that he's got those uh, super thin hidden Kevlar sleeves back in stock. Uh, those are the ones that Eric and I got as a prototype, and uh, we both love those things, and they've become kind of the go to thing for a lot of the hidden sleeve guys like PSA for the carjacking. And it's what we use for a lot of the scenarios you see where we use super thin equipment, we're rolling around and wrestling with handlers. But uh, keeps you protected, keeps the dog engaged, lasts for quite a while, fits well too. So almk9equipment.com.
Yes, one of our very, very first sponsors of the podcast before we recorded an episode is the guys out in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania at Bravo 3 and at Tripwire. Uh, we love those guys. They do a fantastic job of training the modern law enforcement and first responder. And that's what Bravo 3 is really all about. It's about an, a combination of SWAT, canine, bomb EOD, fire, hazmat, TAC med, and SOF first responder guys. Everybody gets together to share information, so you've got a lot of people there that are really, really good at what they do, including Eric and I. We're going to be instructors. When is it, Eric? It is October 26th through the 29th in Gettysburg. You can sign up at bravo-3.com, www.bravo-3.com. Come see us, man. Come hang out. We'll have a good time. Yep. I want to take two seconds and talk about the entrance and exit music that everybody hears here, which is kind of an important part of the entire thing we do. The artist, Brother D, has been extremely gracious in letting us use this music, and I want everybody to go hit him up. And if he comes to town, go see him. Go buy his shirts and go buy his CDs. It's Brother D, D-E-G-E dot net. All of his new music's up there. You can get it on the same place that you're listening to this. You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Google Play, or you can order it straight from his website. But go hit him up. He's a great dude, super gracious, and if you get a chance, go see him live. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother D E G E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co produced by Alicia Brandt.